Welcome to Afterthoughts, everybody. This is the podcast where we watch a movie and talk about our thoughts after we watched it. Uh, with me, uh, we have the general crew and a special guest tonight, uh, John Garcia. How's it going? It's going well, Dixon. I pulled out an insurance policy on you, my friend. Oh, shit. I wasn't supposed to say that out loud. Fuck. Oh, I, I don't think I signed off on that. I'm going to need to look into this. Uh, uh, we'll, <laughs> we'll table this until after, oh, after okay. the recording. Uh, okay. Uh, also with me, Ryan King. How's it going, Ryan? It's going well. I'm looking forward to talking about actually decent Yellowstone. <laughs> I was gonna, that was going to be my letterbox review, but I didn't know if it was disrespectful. <laughs> cool. And we have a special guest tonight, uh, my good friend Eric Reynolds. How's it going, Eric? Hey, Dixon. Hey, everybody. Excited to be here. Didn't know I was expected to prepare a joke. Uh, but, uh, <laughs> no, it's fine. You don't have to. <laughs> so uh, someone edited something better than what I said in post, if you don't mind. Okay. okay yeah, sure. Thanks. Yeah. 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 Right. I'll just do it in my voice and just like turn it up an octave or two. And, wow. And, Is that yeah. how we're going to play this? <laughs> <laughs> Cool. Uh, so this week, if you caught on to some of those uh, jokes there, we are talking about the new Martin Scorsese epic, Killers of the Flower Moon. You know, you got you got nice color skin. What color would you say that is? My color. Oh, Sage. They have the worst land possible. But they outsmarted everybody. The land had oil on it. Black gold. Money flows freely here now. I do love that money, sir. <laughs> this wealth should come to us. Their time is over. Gonna be another tragedy. When this money started coming, we should have known it came with something else. They're like buzzards circling our people. We're still warriors. I ought to kill these white men who killed my family. I need you here. I am right here. You've got to take back control of your home. I was uh, sent down from Washington, D.C. to see about these murders. See what about them? See who's doing it. Based on the David Gran novel, not nonfiction book from 2017, uh, about the Osage murders of the 1920s and the FBI investigation into those. Um, I've been looking forward to this movie for a long time. Uh, if you were a frequent listener of the podcast, you know that I love Martin Scorsese and uh, was very interested to see him tackle this subject matter. It's very different than, you know, as far as setting goes than what he usually does. You know, it's kind of a Western. It's it's a period piece. It's a little bit different than, you know, what he's normally works on and um I, I think some of the uh kind of themes of the film are similar to things that he's done in the past but the setting is very different i was interested to see him kind of do his scorsese thing in a different type of setting um 
Leonardo DiCaprio stars as Ernest Burkhart. Robert De Niro also stars as William Hale. And uh, Lily Gladstone uh, really steals the film as Molly Burkhart. Um, the story here is around the, the Osage Indian tribe in northeastern Oklahoma. This was once a vaunted, uh, powerful tribe that took over the space from like Missouri to Colorado and, and had lots of space. And uh, as the American government was wont to do at the time, would continue to negotiate peace treaties with them and fuck them over and move them into smaller portions of, of land over and over until finally they pushed them into this barren patch of land in northeastern Oklahoma that no one wanted. And the, the tribe actually felt a lot of relief when that happened because they're like, at least no one will take this land from us now because no one wants it. We can just live in peace. Uh, it turns out the land is overflowing with oil and everyone wants to steal their land. Um, the, the story kind of follows um, the, the, the Osage tribe and members of that tribe as they are dealing with some of the local white citizens who are marrying into the tribe and killing off the uh, members of the tribe to steal their oil rights and to kind of steal the wealth away from the tribe. So... Um, Leonardo DiCaprio's Ernest Burkhart marries an Osage Indian, Molly Burkhart, and um, William Hale, played by De Niro, is his uncle, and he is kind of orchestrating some, you know, this massive murder plot behind the scenes to to steal these oil rights. Um, it, it's a pretty fascinating film uh, from that standpoint. I actually read the book this weekend after I had seen the movie and went on a trip to see some family, saw the book at the airport. I was like, fuck it, why not? I'll, I'll buy the book and, and give it a read. It was interesting to read it and kind of understand some of his historical context in a little bit more depth. Um, they kind of helped to give the movie a little bit more weight in some of the things that, that I was seeing. The book is very um, kind of historical and, and cold in how it recounts these events. And it's a good book, but the script really brings in a lot of characterization and depth to these characters that is just not really there on the pages of this book. You know, the point of the book is, David Grant is looking back through these historical records and documenting here is what actually happened when these, these murders occurred. And, and Scorsese and Eric Roth are taking this and, and putting in a lot of life into this screenplay and making it more of a, a narrative story that works really well. Um, the book is more told from the standpoint of the FBI agents, uh, Tom White, played by Jesse Plemons, and kind of the investigation into the murders. Um, I think it's interesting that Originally, the screenplay was written from that standpoint. DiCaprio was cast to play Tom White. They were all ready to shoot, and then COVID hit, and they couldn't shoot. And while they were kind of ruminating on this, Scorsese and DiCaprio decided, eh, I don't know if we like this story. It's kind of this white savior thing, and it's kind of pulling away from the narrative of the Osage tribe and what they were actually going through. What if we kind of recast the story around you know, the, the tribe and the people around them that are committing these terrible acts. And obviously Scorsese has a history of, of making great movies about anti-heroes. You know, you have Travis Bickle, uh, Jordan Belfort, Jesus Christ, uh, you know, a lot of, a lot, a lot of anti-heroes <laughs> in, in Scorsese's Um, and you know, he does that really well here and kind of telling the story of the evil that is happening from the perspective of the people that are doing it and the people that are experiencing it. Um, I've seen some criticism of the film saying that like, you know, Hey, this movie is not really about the Osage tribe. It's really a movie for white people to kind of like understand the, um, the terrible things that happened. And it's from the perspective of the white characters for the most part. I think there's some, uh, you know, truth to that, but also like 
Scorsese's making a big studio film and like he knows that he can't get this made if it is like he, he can't make Kundun right again with 200 million dollars he can't do it from the perspective of the Indians solely so he has to have movie stars come in and kind of play these roles but tell the story more from the Osage perspective um, than he he would have you know kind of under the way the book was written in the normal script but um, I think the story is pretty fascinating. I'm, I'm excited to get into it and, and break it down. It's a three and a half hour epic. There's a lot of stuff here. I've only seen it once and I'm really excited to go see it again and kind of pick up more things. You know, a Scorsese movie, it's, there's so much editing. There's so much stuff going on. Like it's kind of hard to pick it apart entirely on a first watch. But um, I really enjoyed it on, on the first viewing. John and I saw it at uh, the Bob Bullock IMAX here in town. And that was a pretty cool experience except for the douchebag next to me that they kept talking but um, and the people that were like that's martin scorsese (laughs) (laughs) so half the theater started talking when scorsese came on screen um but yeah i'm really interested to get into this um uh john what uh what were your thoughts on the film um well i can't get the score out of my head like robbie robertson's r.i.p fucking score yeah, Yeah, yeah rest in peace it like I even uh, I've been trying to get Sasha ready to go see it because she knows she's going to have to. She saw (laughs) Oppenheimer. She can do this, too. Um, And uh, the entire time I was like, I've just been thinking about that score and hearing it in my head every so often. And like the way that that film built, I know, like going into it, too. Um, Dixon, I told you that uh, Scorsese kind of said he was really influenced by Ari Aster and Ari Aster's like pacing in his films Mm -hmm. and that's what he wanted to kind of do in Killers of the Flower Moon and I was like that's a really interesting thing to just say like throw it out there Yeah. so I was like all right, I'm ready to like sink into whatever this is it's also really um, cool that Scorsese is willing to be influenced by filmmakers like 45 years younger than him. Like, yeah, <laughs> yes. he's he's always like looking for something that will just make his films feel better for him. Like it helps mm-hmm. his creative process. And I noticed like I uh, also noticed there were like a lot of drone shots in this one, too. And like things that I just haven't I don't recall seeing in other Scorsese films are usually like crane shots and that kind of more traditional. Mm-hmm. But um, yeah, like I, I really enjoyed it. Uh, I have not read the book. Um from the perspective of the the movie doesn't really uh, feel like it's trying to obscure too much from you. I heard from somebody else that the book feels a little more like a whodunit to some extent because of being told from that FBI perspective. Mm -hmm. Um, And here it was kind of like laid out immediately. You can kind of understand that there's double talk happening on screen. You feel, you know what the evil that's going on uh from minute one. Yeah. yeah, You're in on the crime, but, but there's still like some part of, I think that it's interesting to start with characters that you already have like heavy suspicions. um, If not like just a sinking feeling about what they're doing and then try to work backwards and make them really become fully humanized in these weird ways where it's like, I Leo's character conflicted me at several times because I was like, I can't tell if he's sincere. And like the same thing with King King Hale is just like, I can't tell at parts. He's like patting some of the, the Osage tribe on the back and comforting them. And other times he's slipping them booze to like get them addicted to alcohol, pulling out like insurance, uh, fucking, uh, policies on them. And, um, just doing all this really sneaky, dirty shit. Um, but like, and at times it makes it funny. Like I found it really interesting. that This movie did not just have the most bleak and oppressive feeling to its story. As mm-hmm. it went through, there were moments of genuine, like that's fucking ridiculous and like laughing at it. And then it would immediately snap back into that. This is all fucked up. Like everything that's happening is fucked up and watching those. It's like classic Scorsese yeah. to be able to do that whiplash, but not 
like it, not go it against, feels genuine. Yeah. Yeah. Uh-huh. Not go against it. Um, so yeah, I, I really enjoyed it on the first watch. Uh, I, um, I have this, you know, I have this kind of ability when I see a movie and I find it really striking and I really liked it. When we were walking out, I kept talking about how I really enjoyed it. And after that, like I've been tempted to just write out everything that I remember from it to see how much it could be. Cause, um, Eric, I don't, I don't think that you'd know this, but when we went and saw pig with Nicolas Cage, I wrote that entire movie, uh, like the entire plot beats of that movie. The moment <laughs> that I got home, I just scripted it all out cause I knew I loved it. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I have those, that same kind of feeling for this movie. And when I go see it again i'm like really excited to to bring more people in and like watch it and talk it talk with more friends about it and everything so mm. definitely leaves me with those feelings um but yeah uh lily gladstone that's the only other thing i wanted to just mention mm-hmm. is lily gladstone so fucking, fucking just crushes it and um i am so happy to see her in something beyond like reservation dogs which she's also great in um but yeah, like when I got out, all I could think about was the, the, I wonder what the people who saw who watched Yellowstone and enjoyed it thought of this movie. Like, that's one thing that I was thinking was like, did they go in and come out and they were just like, well, that's not as good as Yellowstone, because I feel like that's <laughs> what they would say. <laughs> They'd be like very upset about it. Where's Kevin um, Costner? Yeah. God damn it. <laughs> yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, but yeah, uh, that's those are my my first initial takes on this. Um, but yeah, kick it over to uh, to Eric. Thanks. Yeah, I I would probably start by echoing a lot of what I've hear, heard and kind of what we've been talking about. My first reaction to the movie is I feel like it's something I have to see a second time. Yeah, uh, agreed. It's, it's so, you know, as Scorsese has kind of gotten older and started making these more epic films, it becomes, but combining that with his style with the fast cuts and just so much happening all the time. I find it just so difficult to digest everything on a first watch. Mm-hmm. And so I'm incredibly excited to go back and watch this movie again. I also did something with this kind of in preparation for um, for this, this conversation that I don't usually do, oh. which is usually I will go back as soon as I watch a movie, especially if I like it, and read every single thing I can find out about this movie. Um, in fact, Dixon, I, I think I mentioned mm-hmm. earlier, I tried to find the book. Uh, at the airport the other day in preparation for this conversation. But I did not this time because I'm trying to, I feel like there was so much happening with this movie and so many things that, um, so many ways in which the movie worked so well and so many ways in which I actually did really struggle with it. And one of the ways in which I struggled with it, um, you mentioned earlier, Dixon, where, Mm -hmm. you know, this isn't a white savior story. Um, and it's interesting. I did not know that they recut and rethought this movie to particularly explicitly avoid that. Um, but the Osage tribe did not feel like an active, uh, character in this film in many ways. Uh, so much of the way they interacted with the world felt mediated through white people. And on the one hand, there's some real historical accuracy to that, obviously. Yeah, definitely. Um, but in another way, it, it, it seems to rob the tribe of um, some autonomy or some, um, um, not individuality, but some some uh, agency in yeah. this. And, and I'm still digesting whether that is um, a reaction I have, a reaction other people have, a thing that kind of Scorsese unintentionally put into the movie or maybe intentionally put in. These are the things that I feel like I'm, I'm excited to talk about here. And also, again, when I kind of go back and rewatch it again, try and understand this. Uh, and I, I totally agree with the Leonardo DiCaprio character being this really an enigma for me where I, I found his love 
of Molly credible in a lot of ways and in other ways, like completely incredible. Yeah. Right. Yeah. It, it's, it, and it's not just simply like, you can't do like, how can you do bad things to someone you love that, that that's, that's far too trite. Right. Mm-hmm. But, um, something about that relationship and, and her kind of unbelievable amount of trust in him, despite, uh, you know, a, a movie that never really felt like it earned that trust for him. I, I, I'm, these are things that, that kind of, you know, are sitting with me right now and, and I'm wrestling with in the aftermath of the movie. Um, and so I really enjoyed it. Uh, and also, I feel like almost have more questions about the movie now that I've seen it yeah. than I did going into it, you know? <laughs> yeah. Um, and so, yeah, I again, normally I would react to that by just reading every single thing I possibly can about it. But this time I'm trying to sit with it and digest it, talk about it as a group, and then go back and watch it again and, and mm-hmm. see how I feel about it. So... Um, I don't know that there's a through line in all that, except to say, like, I, I found it a a more difficult film than I expected, and, and maybe a more difficult yeah. film than I often expect from Scorsese. Uh, and I don't mean that as an insult to him, but I don't think of him as a particularly, I think of him as a great director and someone who can um, evoke many, uh, you know, can evoke deep emotions, but maybe not evoke emotional complexity to the degree I kind of feel it right now. Mm-hmm. And I'm curious how that how that resonates for the rest of you. Yeah. Interesting. I'm interested cool. to talk talk about that. Um, yeah, for sure. Um, before before we dive into that, Ryan, uh, what what were your thoughts on the film? Yep, uh, I will jump out and put uh, that I do have a bias, so I'm going to list that out because uh, I think news should do that. I know they do that in the United Kingdom, where they like <laughs> initially start with their bias before they talk about something. Um, I am Cherokee through my mom's side of the family. Not a just, I claim Cherokee, like I actually have a card. Uh, I actually can tell you that they pay faster for COVID payments than the federal government, uh, which is not surprising (laughs) to a Cherokee person. (laughs) Um, It's, uh, it it is interesting having like learned about my heritage, trying to get closer, learning Cherokee language, still having, still being a mixed person and having the complications with that. Um, And so I came in the movie like, wanting to see representation just like really just representation um i've talked about reservation dogs so much because it's a fully native production and cast and they're front and center and it gives a good view into the difficulties of of native population on a reservation today um but i will say that this i feel like I hope this really opens the dialogue more in the way that just, you know, somewhat disappointingly, but still something dances with wolves and last of the Mohicans did do. And I'm like, and that's it. There kind of has been, there was like a Geronimo movie. And then it, and then it's like this, like this is the biggest thing in a long time. Um, Lily Gladstone fucking awesome. Mm -hmm. Like it was so awesome. Such a, at sometimes subtle performance, um, but just to feel the pain, to feel her pain through this, like that was the through line of just like how much more can she endure? <laughs> how much more can be put on her, put on the tribe? Um, she's absolutely going to get nominated. There's no way I would hope that she so. isn't. Yeah. Um, and I really would hope that she would win. But even just a nomination would make her the first Native person for an acting role, a Native American, not there have been 
wow. native yeah. Canadians and Mexicans and some and you know Taika Waikiki picks up stuff every now and again nominations, um, but like that would be a big stepping point as well that this long to not have that representation and to finally start to see it here in television and and movies. And this is something that's going to go in front of anybody. It's so Scorsese's on it and it's in your face. So, so many people are going to see this and talk about it. Um, so from that standpoint, it's, it's important and a step. Um, I will say again, uh, Ruth Bader Ginsburg was asked about how many women needed to be on the Supreme court uh, for it to be like her to, you know, be done talking about it. <laughs> and she said, all of them, if every single person was, a woman, then we would, could be done talking about it. Cause she's like, it never was a concern when it was all men. Nobody talked about it then. Mm-hmm. Right. And in that same way, I'm like, if we could get something that was on reservation dog level where it's produced, directed, written, starring front and center, all of it. And it was viewed by a large audience. Uh, that would be amazing. But the next best thing <laughs> is yeah. something like this. Like, it has to take these steps uh, and continue to get there. And the further we can get from the fucking Disney Pocahontas to <laughs> something like this is a big step. It's a big step. Um, so then, yeah, with all of that, I absolutely fucking loved it. Uh, it is a movie that did feel like three and a half hours, but I will say, and Darla went with me as well, you feel that it's a long movie, but at the end you are just so locked in, especially like that last mm-hmm. hour that you're like, I can't look away, step away, like anything. Every moment is important and well acted and everything at the end that you're just gripped to your seat the way that this was done. I do think it's interesting because when I first heard this announced, I really kind of was like, I guess it's just going to be the detective story, right? Which is yeah. what they first started working towards. And, you know, punched up, I guess, to make it better. Um, but seeing what they ended up switching to, I think, is good in that it it gives that, like, inside the tribe start and the visibility to all the things that were going on at the time. It spends a lot at the beginning of the movie, I feel like, just setting up, like, the people, the interactions between the different races here, like, how the town operates who you know our key people are just like the feeling of all these mixed things like what's it like in the church what's it like for a wedding like these complicated intermixed things that they have now um and then i would say eric roth as an adapting a screenplay i've talked before about how much i liked munich and i felt the sense here of the same thing he did with the munich script of taking some real events and being able to create something you can follow as a through line, but is still a movie, but it's still really true to all the events. Um, Obviously, there's flourishes added here that I don't think anybody can know, you know, exactly some of the things. And even with, like, what came out in the trial, there's still questions of, like, what exactly the extent was. Honestly, this movie kind of downplays how horrible it really, really was to get to, like, what they could, you know, it's like you could have kept going with this, even after we see, like, the end of the court. I'm like, there's more stuff where, like, Mm -hmm. DAs were attempted murders on DAs and witness tampering, jury tampering. Like, it just goes on and on and on. Um, and, and then a lot even of getting to like committed by other people that aren't Bill Hale, right? That are like out. Yeah, like he wasn't the only one doing this, right? Like, right. Yeah. We saw murders at the beginning that it's unclear, and there were other murders discussed. It's unclear if he was a part of it or not, and there were definitely ones they were not. 
Uh, they didn't talk a lot about the guardianship. It was mentioned in the background. Mm-hmm. That was one thing where I don't know if they could have found a way to explain that because that was a big deal, especially for the Osage to have this guardianship. They mentioned the like civilized tribes and the 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 way that that was handled different from other tribes led to these weird situations where like everyone in the Osage had to have a guardian to actually like make sure they knew how to use money well. And those guardians fucking abuse the hell out of oh, them of to the point of like uh, 2010s. There was a settlement from the U.S. government of like, hey, we really fucked this up. And it's like the largest payout to any tribe at that time. Yeah, it was like $380 million or something. Yeah. Yeah. That was one thing in the, reading the book I really appreciated. Like that helped add a lot of context to the film was the way that the level that they get into the guardianship situation. Like basically the government viewed full-blood Osages as like incompetent people who can't be trusted with their own money and they have to have a white person do all that stuff for them and control what how they get to spend their money and only give them a certain allowance from it. And it's like... It's it's pretty it's it's really fucking fucked up and that's really something that's up. like yeah. you see some of those scenes in the movie but it's not necessarily clear what that exact dynamic is. Yeah, yeah, I, it's never quite only, contextualized. I yeah. can only assume it was fucked up because I was just like mm. guardianship to pull your own money out. Like that was yeah. my initial reaction. <laughs> like Molly having to beg that white guy for yeah. passage to DC and, and stuff like that. Yeah, yeah. just like ugh. yeah. So yeah, it that. All of that, like, it's one of those that I hope brings the attention that people will read up on it. People will hear these things, see these things. Um, But then, yeah, just as, like, acting, seeing Scorsese cover a Western is a new take as well. And I do feel like he got, there's a lot slower pace here, a lot Mm -hmm. more methodical, slower pace, um, which Westerns have. There are a lot of those larger shots that we get the larger slower shots especially like scale of the the scenery you know outdoors whatever like going through the town all these kind of things that slow it all down and give you that that i i kind of expect from a western so i feel like he nailed that as well that the western feel so that was a a good change for him um there's definitely things to talk about so i kind of want to get in because i think we can just start, yeah, try to pick things and i <laughs> i don't this conversation could go on forever and ever so i, I do want to start like let's start hitting points and go from there um i feel like maybe we should go for what eric brought up um which was kind of that uh, uh that that feeling that the uh osage people were not did not have a full agency in this film and whether or not how like conflicted uh, that sort of feels to the telling of the story um because I think that that's like a theme with a lot of uh, a lot of other entities in this. There's things that like we don't have time to get into. We just talked about like guardianship. We just um, you, you know the Osage tribe. We see moments where we get to see them kind of blending into being assimilated into like white society, being forced to assimilate anyway, um, and like rituals and things like going to church and that. Uh, but we also see other societies, um, other less favorable societies that are represented in passing. Like, uh, I don't know, the Ku Klux Klan for like five seconds in the yeah, middle of a parade. Yeah. Um, and uh, like other seedy, uh, unsavory characters who just kind of come and go. Um, and of course, Scorsese's like history as uh, representing like 
uh, I think Dixon, you were saying that, uh, you know, this is something different that Scorsese's done, but he's kind of applying his eye to it in a way that's very familiar. And I think it is like, it's a mobster movie. Like there's a mafia yeah. mm-hmm. at the heart of this. Yeah. There is a crime syndicate that is perpetrating it. And I, uh, I'm very interested to hear y'all's thoughts on like the Osage tribe being represented in the way that they are the, the sort of moments that show, I think there's a reverence. There is a reverence definitely for what they are doing and how they do it in any of the scenes um, that is uh, like maintained purely. But then outside of that, anytime they interact with the other um, like people in this uh, Oklahoma town, um, it's always through that white lens that you can see those characters interact with the Osage. And and I think I also kind of noted when we got out Dixon that, um, you could just see white people seething like through their teeth in like mm-hmm. any one scene, um, whether they were, uh, the chauffeur for the Osage or just somebody who was in town that was saying something friendly to them. There was just something that you could feel that was off. Like when they say good morning to them, any of that, it's just an energy. Um, but yeah, like, uh, uh, I've, I've kind of talked enough about what my observations on it were. I'm curious, uh, Dixon, Ryan, how y'all felt about it. Um, given, given what Eric kind of said. Yeah. I, I think like one thing that Scorsese does really well, right. Is, uh, craft antiheroes that if you're not careful, you end up rooting for. Right. And like, that's why, you know, John, you talk a lot about the dorm room poster problem, like people who misinterpret Scorsese movies, like stockbrokers that love Wolf of Wall Street and like just dudes that think like mafia life is cool. And like, Oh that, yeah, Henry Hill's really awesome. Right. Or like, you know, Travis Bickle seems really cool. And it's like you, you start, he makes you identify with villains and then shows you their true colors and how evil they are. And I think, you know, like Taxi Driver, the first half of the movie is just like, he's a lonely Vietnam War veteran who doesn't know how to assimilate into society. And you're, it's got this jazzy score. And like, oh man, like I, I feel for that guy and understand what he's going for, going through. And then he starts fucking murdering politicians and pimps and stuff and like going on a Batman rampage. And like it changes very quickly. And I think with Kills of the Flower Moon, may, maybe why it feels more complex is that is the closeness of the perpetrators of the crime to the victims of the crime, right? And it's like you have these just unthinkable acts of, of violence where husbands are killing their wives or killing their wives' friends or sisters or mothers. And, you know, it's this, this evil plot to consolidate oil rights into as few people as possible and to marry them and to kill them off so you get the rights inherited down to you. And it's like, it's just so fucked up and like, I think that's why, you know, like Molly doesn't see it coming for so long because it's just so evil and so unthinkable that that someone would actually do that, right? And I think I agree with you, Eric, that like I I wish, and it's like it's hard to say it's about a three and a half hour movie. Like I do wish there was a little bit more time invested in Ernest and Molly's relationship, so you understand why she feels that mm-hmm. trust to the degree that she does. But again, it, it's hard to do everything in this this massive epic yeah. film. Um, but I, I think that's maybe why it feels ickier and more complex than maybe some of his other films that are also following terrible people that kind of trick you into rooting for them. And then you feel bad about yourself at the mm-hmm. end of the movie um, because like this is relatives committing crimes against each other. And this is like, um, you know, like Bill Hale is like, you know, it's like I'm a, a true friend to the Osage and he's going out of his way to 
make it seem like he is a benefactor and he's like building roads and schools for these people and doing everything he can to appear to be on their side and then just cutting them off at the knees when they're looking the other way. And um, I, I think that's just, you know, it, it's almost like the most extreme version of the thing that Scorsese has been trying to talk about for the majority of his career. And it's done in a way that it's just so upsetting to think about these types of crimes actually happening. And, you know, it's an anti-hero story, but it's also, you know, I think you do get a closer view from the victims than you normally do in a Scorsese movie. And he's trying to do that as much as he can while like satisfying the Apple executives that Leo is getting enough screen time, you know? Right, right, um, right. But yeah, no, I, I think that's a really interesting point though. Yeah. I, I will say, I want to just plus one onto that, like the romance. That's the only part of the movie that doesn't feel quite perfected to me. And mm-hmm. I don't, I, I know that there was a lot of talk before the movie came out about how they were cutting down runtime and like all this other stuff. And I wonder if that's kind of what got cut is it, it has yeah, kind it of the, be. um, the, the, I don't want to drag this movie into it, but I have to, it has the notebook problem where it's just what? like, there's an instant, <laughs> there's an instant romance that sort of happens that you just don't parse. And it, doesn't make a whole lot of sense after like why, but you have to just go with it. Like the movie just says you have to go with it. We get like one sequence yeah. um, between uh, Ernest and Molly where they like sit in uh, a house together in a rainstorm. And that's like the closest we can get to the quiet intimacy that we need to be like, okay, I can see why they're together now. Yeah. Because after that, it kind of is like, nope, he's just her chauffeur and they're, you know, bantering back and forth and past a certain point they're both cute enough. They both get married. Like that's a thing that kind of happened, but it also is like in the 1920s and like earlier times before we have like all these dating apps and shit, people literally (laughs) were just like, yeah, you'll do like, yeah, fuck it. (laughs) Sure. Uh, I'll go with that. Like whatever. And so part of of childbearing age and not deathly ill. Sign me up. (laughs) (laughs) Yes. Uh, Romance in the old times. (laughs) Um, but yeah, Ryan, I'm curious, uh, any, any thoughts on this? Yeah, I think it's, it, there's so much <laughs> in the movie that's there that there's just has to be some things that drop. Mm-hmm. Um, and then I would say we do get sort of check-ins with, uh, Molly and Ernest along the way. I, I think the normal spark maybe that you would expect the chemistry is not quite there um between uh our actors just i would say the one scene where they're in the the taxi together and she says something and he's like i'm sure you're saying handsome devil or whatever Mm -hmm. that that was a moment and she you know she laughs about it where there kind of was like a legitimate chemistry there um but we kind of didn't really see it in other parts i think because we also had to show this natural distance of like not understanding each other either. Mm-hmm. Like that she's kind of keeping her own things. And then it did do sort of set up the, uh, like at the beginning of the, like, uh, you know, they're quiet and they listen versus uh, us white people that come in and just talk a bunch to fill the space. <laughs> yeah. uh, and you feel that a lot of times too with her. And it's just trying to fill up the space with her and not really knowing exactly, you know, where he stands or what, what's going on. Um, so yeah, I do feel like that could have been a little bit better, mainly because it really, I think in another story, it'd probably be fine, but here that real tough dynamic of him 
honestly having to know that he's poisoning her, but mm-hmm. yeah. lying to himself in a way, and the and you know in the courtroom kind of being like, no, I really did love her. I really did fall in love with her. I I it didn't go into this thinking that I was going to do all these things, um, and not having something to kind of look at and be like, yeah, that is true. It is complicated. It's like you don't necessarily feel it's that complicated. That was really one of Darla's major hangups. Like she really enjoyed it and was like, that was a great movie. Mm-hmm. Like when we walked away and we've been talking about it since, but she's really kind of keeps going in about like, that's bullshit. He can't have loved her. You know, it can't possibly have been like that. He had to know what he was doing all the time. Like he's, he, you know, that's not true. And I, I like, he says it in court. So maybe it's mm-hmm. just, it isn't true, but it, I do feel like the movie's trying to make you feel like he does believe that. Um, but it isn't, quite sold fully i also don't think it can um, be overstated how stupid he is right? like, <laughs> yes, we did talk true. about that he is uh, yeah, yeah he is unbelievably yeah. stupid dicaprio does a great job playing stupid like i thought he was great as as earnest and just like this guy who just does whatever the last person he talked to told him to do you know like yeah, he has yeah. no strong opinions on anything he doesn't even seem to be greedy he doesn't even seem to necessarily want to steal all of Molly's family's head rights. He just does what King Bill tells him to do and, you know, just doesn't really think about it. And then when he's with Molly, he's just living in that space and do like comforting her and doing what she wants him to do. And he's just like an absolute grotesque piece of shit who has no backbone whatsoever. And, um, I think it's funny, like le- that leading into kind of, you know, talking about this as a gangster movie in, in Scorsese's, uh, filmography, like, most of Scorsese's gangster movies, there's like a certain level of competence in the organized crime that's going on. Maybe not Wolf of Wall Street, but like you don't necessarily see how kind of blatantly they're breaking the law in that movie. But like most of the movies like, you know, oh, Goodfellas or Casino, like they're committing crimes, but they're like burying people out in the desert. And so like you're not seeing the murders that happen here. It's just like we're just killing people and leaving them to rot in a ditch and just waiting for somebody to find them. Like there's no effort to actually cover up the crime. Right. And there's like right. there's a level of stupidity and hubris in that. Right. Where like all of the white members of society that are involved in this plot don't believe that they can actually face any consequences for killing Osage Indians because of the society in which they exist. And like, you know, they'll just pay off a judge or a prosecutor or a cop if they need to. But at the end of the day, they're going to be fine to where like they don't even bother burying the bodies. Right. And like, there's that funny scene where like after, um, Henry Roan is killed and uh, De Niro is talking to DiCaprio and he's like, I told him to shoot him between the eyes, make it look like a suicide. Why did he take the gun and shoot him in the back of the head? It's like this funny back and forth where they're just like, you know, talking about how incompetent they are at all this. But like at the end of the day, it almost doesn't matter because they can just pay off everybody. And like it does finally come back to bite them at the end. But that, like that's like the first time, time anyone yeah. <laughs> has ever paid a consequence for, for doing it, right? So I think that's interesting to where like usually in Scorsese's films, you're seeing this very well-run criminal operation. And this one, it's just like, because they're in a society that just does not give a flying fuck about Osage lives, that they can just do whatever they want and not have to worry about it. And they can just be super sloppy and not bother covering their tracks. Well, it's yeah. also like... 
what you see the Tulsa massacre as well as footage and, mm-hmm. and that and is they something that, that took, a few yeah. times that's something yeah. that took so long to even be remembered mm-hmm. now and mm-hmm. like similar with this story it's just like at some point in time the rest of society was like well that was a fucked up thing that happened anyway that's not what America's about and like moved right. on and it only has to resurface now when people are able to be like that is really fucked up. We should uh, know what we should tell mm-hmm. stories about this, do other things. Like, right. Yeah. Which is what Hale says. He's like, it'll just, we'll move on. They'll forget about it. Like, mm-hmm. you know, yeah. this will blow over. And he does really, it, it's, it's interesting looking at it from Hale's standpoint of like, he's in there with the tribe. He's in their, their meetings. Like they view him as, as that important. He's supporting the town and it's like, and he's doing all these horrible things. And Darla was like, how is that possible? Like, even afterwards, he's like writing to the tribe after it's like all come out. And I was like, he just doesn't see them as people. Mm-hmm. No. Yep. Like, yeah. he just straight up doesn't see this as like, he, he knows what he's doing fully. And he just is like, doesn't see them on the same level as him. And I think he kind of wraps Ernest up, honestly, or, you know, in, in that as well. And is like kind of constantly telling him these things of like, hey, they're going to die anyway. Like, right, he's always kind of trying to lead him on to this conclusion of, like, just don't worry about it, man. Like, like it's just not that big of a deal. Yeah. Uh, mm-hmm. And you're right. And it's like, yeah, it did kind of, like, eventually sort of gloss over. It has moved on. And it's now, you know, starting to come back up to realize the, the level of this, the scale of it, um, which even at the time, I was like, it's only more recently, I think we realized it's, like, hundreds Mm-hmm. of yep. murders yep. that they're around this most unsolved and the they've only been convicted people for like four of them right like right. there's so many unsolved murders and all of this like and it's like they couldn't really test they didn't really know how to test for poisoning at the time and so they're just like putting strychnine in moonshine and giving it to people and like there's just so many so many things that were happening that were either not capable of being tested or the local law enforcement was just so stupid and untrained they like didn't really know how to do we're in on it yeah, yeah or they're absolutely in on it. <laughs> yeah i yeah. mean even the fucking uh-huh. doctors were in on this right. shit like, yeah they have a hippocratic oath did they have an oath back then i don't even remember <laughs> yeah that goes back yeah it goes back to like the greeks that thing's super old yeah, yeah. right you yeah. would think <laughs> the one thing you're not supposed to do don't don't do god, any harm god damn it it's one fucking job but yeah um I really did appreciate kind of like the way, so uh, laying everything out on the table, which we talked about, uh, Scorsese doesn't try to make this a whodunit. He he makes you know exactly who's doing what. And from the get-go, I just want to talk about Robert De Niro's performance, um, like in how he has, he walks that line between foreshadowing things and um at the same time yeah he's in the tribal circle he's endeared to them he has these tender moments with different people in the osage tribe and how it produces this feeling like it's a it's a a pit in my stomach of just like how despicable he is but also it to me was at times it made me laugh like just how fucking brazen he was with what he could do so like for instance from the beginning him talking to uh Ernest about um the osage people and giving him a book on their culture and do kind you, of do being, you like women yeah <laughs> <laughs> and and him um kind of explaining that and you can immediately tell that there's a supremacy to what he's saying where he exoticizes the osage and he talks about how they are he's he's 
uh, sort of towing the line for them being a respectful uh, culture and how you should do this and that with them. But at the same time, he's teaching Ernest, like laying out all these lines of how to manipulate them and how to fit in and how to actually like navigate this tribe to get around what they want. And then one of the other scenes that we see later is after, you know, a few of the, the murders have been happening and the tribe's like, we need to send somebody to Washington. We need to figure out who's doing this. And he's like, I'll put a thousand dollars on that, like, uh, that bounty. If you have information, you come to me first. And like, I laughed not when to the I tribe, fucking not saw to law enforcement. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And, and everybody else just nods and it's like, yeah, yeah, here, here. And it's just like test. It's a testament to like, he's really fucking worked his way in. The snake is like living amongst all of the, the, the flock there. And it's like, wow. Okay. Um, this is, is wild, uh, that, that he can just get away with this shit. Um, but yeah, like the, just, his performance leading up to and continuing on even towards the end when he's, you know, trying to negotiate and writing them letters and he's in jail and everything. De Niro manages to have this delusional sincerity and it's not a real sincerity. It is the sincerity born out of him exploiting the Osage people that comes across so well and so believable where I feel like other actors would probably it'd be too telegraphed. It would be too much of like a hammy performance, like too mm. much of a villain. It's so slimy. And I don't know that I've seen De Niro do something like that in another role. I can't really think about it. Like we talked about like, Oh, like the mob and a lot of his roles in other Scorsese films are sort of like, he's part of the mafia. He's doing this in the mafia. Um, and here he really does embody that, early 20th century white supremacy vibe of we can do wherever, whatever we want. We wear the pants in this fucking culture. And uh, it's, it's fucking ridiculous that, uh, that you think that you are entitled to this oil and whatever we should get the head rights. Um, but yeah, I was curious if y'all had other notes on like De Niro's performance or there are other performances that you really, really admired. Um, even like ancillary characters too. Like yeah, De Niro's performance actually reminded me a little bit of his Cape Fear performance. Um, it's not as evil as his Cape Fear performance, like as overtly over the top evil as Cape Fear performance. But like, you know, it's like you forget like Scorsese can actually come. I mean, I'm trying to Scorsese. De Niro can actually come across as a Southerner, and it's weird because he just looks like an Italian New Yorker, but he does can do a really good Southern accent, and um, he has that menace to him that he does in Cape Fear. And there is a scene in Cape Fear that's really great. That's between him and Juliette Lewis, where he is basically hitting on Nick Nolte's teenage daughter and like trying to ingratiate himself in with that family to the point where he actually gets his daughter on his side and like gets her to be sexually interested in him. And it's this very, he's like coming across as affectionate, but very evil undertones at the same time. And with that Southern accent, it kind of reminds me of this performance a, a little bit from Killers of the Flower Moon. Yeah, I think that it's interesting having him not be sort of the classical over the top like there's never a moment where he like actually explodes in anger in a way that you would kind of expect from the mob boss like behind the closed doors like you mentioned there's like the where he's like yelling at him about how stupid he is in the car uh over the murder but it it's not it's sort of like a regular argument it's not like a mob boss 
<laughs> yeah. yeah. It's like, you stupid nephew, you piece of shit. He, he like, actually yeah, like never a, do a anything figure. right. Yeah. I mean, he even yeah. spanks yeah. Ernest. Yeah. Like, he fucking yeah. rattles yeah. his ass. That's not in the book. <laughs> 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 Just added well, for yeah, fun. Like, <laughs> Just, what, a, yeah. what a scene. Oh, my God. <laughs> oh, yeah. And that, that's like the furthest he goes. And even that is like a, it's so subtle and quiet, too, where he's just like, you know, bend over. Like, here we go. Uh, All right. And then he's like, we'll move on to the next thing. Like, and he never gets his hands directly dirty. And if anyone does like chew out Ernest, it's someone else for him. Like, he really is doing everything through these other people. And, you know, just being this subtle manipulator that sits there uh, looking for these opportunities, but kind of just relies on everybody else to do everything. Um, yeah, and it was which I find interesting. I liked it as a mm-hmm. as a much more quiet. And yeah, no, De Niro's great. I really yeah, talking about performance wise, like De Niro and DiCaprio, like both actually do decent accents, mm-hmm. um, which which I appreciate. A lot of times you get these, and it's like eh, it's not really what it is. And they both um, had practice he, with it before, like DiCaprio and Django, and yeah. um, uh, Once Upon a Time in Hollywood. Like he's he's done it before and done it pretty well. Yeah, he's he's got that down now really well. Um, Jesse Plemons was really good too on his accent. I thought he had the mm-hmm. good, subtle, like slow cadence. I'm pretty sure he's from Texas. Um, um, I'm not sure where, but I, I, I think he is. If it's not, we'll just okay. Edit well, this then he's cheating. Yeah, but it, I, I appreciated that as well. I think Jesse Plemons. I like that. I was saying earlier before we were recording, like. I haven't really seen him in good stuff. Like Antlers is the you've got to watch. I'm thinking of ending things. Sad. Oh yeah, yeah. It's, I've got the bad Jesse Plemons yeah. movies down. So it was good to finally see him like in a in a role where I can actually see him act. Um, and I, I he stood out like it was. He did that right level of like. Does he know something? Does the investigator know something? Right, kind of like scaring everyone because he's. It's like clearly he knows something. I guess I can't tell. And he's like, okay, I'll be back. All right, you know, I already <laughs> yep. talked to them. Yep, I already talked to them, like, <laughs> every single time. Um, I thought that was really great. We get to, like, real quick, fast, like, John Lithgow, mm-hmm. uh, Brendan, Brendan Fraser, Fraser towards yeah. the end. That is yeah. my <laughs> client! <laughs> um, again, like, they're always awesome. Like, even, you know, as short as compared to this three and a half hours short is what you get from them was really great. I really liked the actors who played the Shoon brothers, those evil mm-hmm. doctors, like... They were so <laughs> just conniving and slippery and gross. And like from the minute you see them, you're like, eh, I don't like them. There's something fucking wrong with those guys. <laughs> and, you know, the way that they like they are involved in all of these murders, right? Like in Anna Brown's murder, they are hiding the the bullet. They and like they're they're poisoning Molly Burkhart. They're, they're like behind the scenes and all this stuff. They are. Uh, connecting the undertakers with the dead bodies so that like the undertakers who are in on it can kind of get rid of them and, and get rid of the evidence. Like, and those motherfuckers, like they're, they're so good at just, you know, just like, you know, when law enforcement comes around, it's like, Oh, well, you know, I don't know. It's just, we're just doing our job. It's not a big deal, but there's just this underlying shit heel nature to those guys that is just so unsettling. And they have that comedic duo kind of thing too. Yeah, like the big dude right, and small like dude, when, and yeah, yeah. yeah. Like the evil Evan yeah. Costello. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah, we were looking for the bullet. He was looking for the bullet. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh man, Eric, anything to add there? Yeah, I was just thinking about the the kind of way in which there's there's you you almost have like a lot of the characters are kind of acting and operating in this kind of smooth 
thoughtful. They know more than you know, and the and and the actors, you know, the Jesse Plemons, the Robert De Niro, the at, evil Abbott and Costello. They're um, <laughs> they're they're doing such a great job of acting as these kind of um, at times like manipulators of the system, or like you know they're being used to manipulate on, on someone else's behalf, or or they know more than they you know kind of let on. And then you have. Um, Leonardo DiCaprio, who's just like bumbling his way through this entire movie. <laughs> yes. The as, dumbest person the in the history of cinema. dumbest man ever on screen. <laughs> just in every conversation, he's the stupidest person, including when he's like hanging out with his kid, his like two year old kid who doesn't yeah. talk. And uh-huh. like, it's like yeah. that kid could run circles around him, you know? <laughs> and it's such a fascinating, like, I, I think it speaks to some of what I've, I've been processing and thinking about this movie is some of the duality of it, of mm. these like. Uh, I loved what you said earlier, Dixon, about how like this is the first time you really see the victims of the the crime syndicate up close, and you mm. see them as like not just fully human, but also like fully enmeshed in the system that they don't understand and can't control, and in in many ways have have trouble influencing, or at least influencing in the way they intend to, right? And so I, I, I'm, and I, I would. I don't know that I have some like grand theory of kind of how this fits in, but just the idea then of, yeah, you have these, these, you know, general characters who are operating on, on levels and kind of, you know, acting on these, um, you know, the actors are kind of playing these, I don't want to call them sophisticated because oftentimes their schemes are quite stupid. Right. Yeah. And yeah, like, yeah. not like they're, uh, these are not criminal masterminds. We're just right? going to no, blow you, up somebody's yeah, house. Exactly. Yeah. The That's yeah. the easiest way. Yeah. We're going to go to a cattle show. <laughs> <laughs> Fuck it. When I like, I, one of the things I loved in that, and it's always tough to watch things like this with the lens of the present. Right. But I just immediately connect that to the Ku Klux Klan openly marching in the town parade with their uh with their hoods off right like this is a like these people are not operating really in any kind of sophisticated way they're not really even hidden in a lot of ways they're hidden by indifference and by incompetence but more indifference than anything right yeah and then um but they're still they think of the, themselves as these as these sophisticated actors and you have these very talented actors playing these layered complex people and then again just to bring it back to um DiCaprio just bumbling his way <laughs> through this whole thing where he he can't do just about anything right no right yeah. like uh just about every scheme he runs on behalf of Hale is uh is at best uh like doesn't really work and it often uh, and it, like it often, he has to know like but he doesn't but like yeah. any reasonable person would know that like he's the next person that Hale's going right, to kill right, right? like yeah. but he never that never yeah, crosses his mind yeah. like he like he's signs so that paper and shit. Yeah, yeah that <laughs> yeah. was such a funny that was such a uh, I don't know if it was meant to be funny but it oh, is so funny <laughs> And he's like, like, did did Brian sign it? His his brother is not married to an Osage woman. It doesn't matter if he signed it. (laughs) Yeah, I just, Uh, I loved the, uh, again, the the actors, DiCaprio can play more than that for sure, no question. But it was absolutely a great casting of actor Mm. to just the level of slipperiness that they needed to play in there and their talent for playing it. And no one can play a dumb guy like Leo. Yeah, it's it's really an incredible talent he has. Yeah. So yeah, um, yeah, I, I I loved. I, I thought it was incredibly. It was well cast and just fascinating to watch these these actors kind of bounce off each other. And I think that like, um, 
kind of the 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 representation of the victims at the hands of like just the spectrum of whiteness that's mm-hmm. in this the mm-hmm. level of like there's intelligence and there's like fucking uh there's intelligence and there's earnest you know and uh <laughs> <laughs> and like the 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 it, it's an indictment to just how out in the open things could be and it reminded me of um like in black Klansmen, mm-hmm. um when they had that whole segment where the entire movie kind of stops to tell the story of the lynching of jesse washington mm-hmm. and how like just a bunch of white people got together and decided they were going to lynch jesse washington and they had like postcards made and it was just like everything is publicized like none of that evil was hidden mm-hmm. but in like a post in a, a post-racial i'm using quotation marks because we're not post-racial folks um uh, america um <laughs> you you have like all of this like we're past racism somebody last week told me america's the least racist country in the world which mm. i was like wow i didn't know that we were comparing racism across countries uh and yeah. that it's the okay to be tables yeah like i don't know is there a heat map i can uh, how does this look at Where's Mark Stein's <laughs> latest racist power rankings? It's a basketball joke. It just is that like uh, that that indictment on the entire system, and I felt like it's even accented with kind of the end of the movie mm-hmm. when they wrap up um, like the entire story with this. Uh, what is essentially a true crime broadcast Mm -hmm. uh, Mm -hmm. where they're retelling the story and they bring in a random dude to do a a native American impersonation. um, And you have like all of the Foley and everything and it's made entertaining. And you just see this audience of white faces Mm -hmm. that are all like sitting there smiling and enjoying the entertainment of this terrible story. Um, And it, it, it really is just like, wow, they took this tragedy, they could have, they probably, they definitely did know about it and like told it this way. And people were like, wow, that's a really weird story that the FBI solved, all right. And they all moved on together. Um, Like I felt like everything about this movie was intended to be like, we don't want to bring the victims too far into the center because we want to show you how fucked up everything around the victims was how everything in the system, every person in it, no matter how stupid they were, was able to get away with what they were get away what they were getting away with. Like Ernest could have dragged somebody through town probably. And they would have had a comedic moment where they're like, you did what you dragged so-and-so through town. You know, you're not supposed to do that. And everybody in the town would have been like, we didn't see it. We have no idea what you're talking mm-hmm. about. It doesn't matter. Um, but yeah, that just feels like that indictment, like Scorsese's biting that pullback at the end of Wolf of Wall Street when Jordan Belfort mm-hmm. is still giving an inspirational talk after mm-hmm. everything he's mm-hmm. fucking done. Yeah. Um, yeah, about how you can be a success in America. <laughs> yeah, so. that ending is—it's super interesting. Like, I, I, John, we were talking when we walked out of the movie, and I was like, I don't know how I feel about that ending. Like, I felt like the penultimate scene of Ernest and Molly talking and Molly being like, what did you inject me with? Like, be honest with me. Just tell me this. And he's like insulin. And she just like looks at him like you fucking piece of shit and gets up and walks out of the room. I thought that was a really powerful scene. And then it goes to this playful radio teleplay scene. And I, I felt like it was kind of pulling away the impact of the end of, of the film. But the more I think about it, the more I really like that ending. And I, I think it's interesting, like, Scorsese himself, you know, comes in and does a cameo at the end of the scene and reads Molly's obituary. And I think it's an interesting commentary about how, you know, we take these terrible crimes as society and we make them as entertainment. 
it, the book goes into the history around this. Like this was an FBI programmed radio show. Like they made the FBI made this. Like ev- agents would write out the show and give it to the radio company, and they would would make it. And the point was like Hoover was all about trying to drum up propaganda about the FBI to get more funding and to make it this big thing and to the fucking awful behemoth that it has has now become. And, you know, so this was all all propaganda. And it's also like, you know, this is kind of the original true crime. And today we still do this shit where like people get obsessed with true crime documentaries and podcasts and, and things like that and get, uh, you know, kind of sensationalized and and like, make these crimes like a sexy thing that you need to to get into. And like, I feel like Scorsese stepping in at the end of it is like him questioning himself. Like is, should he actually be doing this? Right? Like, is this his story to tell? And like, he clearly loved the story so much that he felt like he had to tell it, but he still, I feel like there's still some second thoughts and some guilt there that he is the one telling the story and that it is, you know, mostly from a white perspective, uh, you know, from the way the characters are portraying the the film. Um, I saw that there were some Osage consultants on the film that after the premiere of the movie, they talked to the press and said, like, "Uh, I don't know if I like this. Like, it's more, it's not a movie for Osage people. It's for white people. And I was like, that's probably correct, right? Like, it, it is a movie about white guilt and the... Uh, implicit guilt of seeing these communal horrors occur and not stepping up and saying anything and doing anything to stop it. And like Scorsese as a white American telling that story, is he the right person to do that? Probably not, honestly, but like he made a really fucking great movie that I I think is, is bringing this perspective to people who may not have, have seen it uh, before. And, you know, even like, you know, I, I haven't, you know, seen very many things that really portray the Native American perspective to the degree that this movie does. And, and I think that that's really great that he did that. I think it's really fascinating that he, he seems to be dealing with that, that guilt and that, that thought in the back of his head, like maybe I shouldn't be doing this, but he clearly did it anyway, but he doesn't, you know, he, he's still kind of dealing with that. Yeah. One thread I'd love, I, I have so many thoughts on what you just shared there. Uh, one thread I'd like to pull for a second is kind of the mm. on the the FBI radio play, right? Yep. I mean, you mm-hmm. have <laughs> and th- this is a piece. Um, you know, I, I, I've been thinking about a lot is how you know you see every MLK day, mm-hmm. the FBI goes on Twitter, <laughs> yeah, 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 and yeah, posts, yeah. "Thank God for Martin Luther King, one of the greatest Americans who ever lived." Uh, and no one ever, you know, they uh, everyone in the comments immediately responds, "Hey, didn't you guys try to convince him to kill himself?" Uh-huh. And um, also, didn't you murder Fred Hampton? And also, didn't you like and, and yep, like yep. and so. And she like and, put a bunch of random people in jail who just like were communists, right, but right. not aligned with the Soviet yeah. Union. And yeah, yeah. And, and it's it, it's both part of this fast. I, I'm fascinated by so many angles of that. I'm fascinated by the propaganda angle and kind of how I felt like that last scene was very much a call out of you know the th- things that we see to this day of how the FBI tries to whitewash some of their mm-hmm. yes. what, what I would consider crimes. Uh, oh, I, absolutely, they're, they're demonstrably yeah. crimes in many instances. If right? you read the law, then yes. Yeah. So that is one way of considering whether it's a crime, in which case, yes, I would agree. Uh, by the letter and spirit of the law, they are committing crimes. Um, and 
And one thing, you know, the movie kind of doesn't get into or, or kind of glosses over is how did the FBI get involved in this case in the first place? Mm-hmm. Uh, and I'm really interested as, you know, in this agency that really does have a, a terrible history yeah. of kind of handling anything other than mm, minority on majority crimes. And even that, they're not. Yeah. Like, this is pretty much a terrible history, right? Mm-hmm. And, and actually getting involved in something they should have gotten involved in and that mm-hmm. was a problem and also is antithetical to a lot of what their unofficial mission is. And I'm curious for those who kind of had a chance to read up on the backstory, does it talk at all about like why the FBI actually got onto this this issue and yeah. was interested in solving it? Because that just, that feels so unexpected, despite yeah. knowing it going in. It's So Hoover was still, you know, hadn't proven himself yet. He was made like temporary FD, FBI director, mm-hmm. right? And he was like trying to, win the job and, and prove his mettle there. And the the Osage murders were a thing in national news because once they got rich, there were a bunch of terrible stories by white journalists being like, would you believe these Indians that have 12 cars and like, you know, are spending their money like crazy? And like a lot of like really awful pieces of journalism that are meant to create resentment from mm-hmm. white people mm-hmm. toward these rich Native Americans. Sure. And then, um, you know, once they start dying, that then like now that the broader public is invested in their mm-hmm. story, mm-hmm. this becomes news, right? And so this is, the murders are national news. Mm-hmm. And, you know, there are, you know, the movie talks a lot about like three or four of the murders. There are, you know, 24, 25 well-documented murders occurring to that time, really hundreds that were going on. So like there's a lot of press around it and Hoover is like this is the case that we need to solve to legitimize the FBI and the you know I think it was just called the Bureau of Investigation yeah. at the time yeah. they're like right. yeah we're we're just going to use this to to Catapult boost the power of the FBI and to yeah. make us this force where like like at the time FBI agents could not carry guns they couldn't arrest people mm. they were just a fact finding group mm. that would like figure out who did it and then mm-hmm. tell local law enforcement. And he was able to use this to catapult the FBI into a much more powerful position to get them to be able to carry guns, to be able to arrest people, to be a huge national police force. And so this was not done out of the goodness of mm-hmm. Hoover's mm-hmm. heart to like, oh, this is so sad that all these Osage are dying. It was, this is an opportunity to exploit a national story mm-hmm. and to get my mm-hmm. department in the news and to to get more power. I think everything Hoover did at the end of the day Mm -hmm. was about getting more power. (laughs) Even wearing that girdle. Yep. (laughs) Definitely. Definitely. (laughs) Oh, okay. (laughs) Um, It's also something that again is like just touched on. There's just so much, Mm -hmm. you know, in this movie anyway, that the complications of sovereignty and the support the nation can get, you know, they, they, you know, it's like, Oklahoma doesn't help, but they're also kind of not supposed to. And this is something that's still coming up in Supreme Court cases like this fucking year, that there's still this back and forth between that. Mm -hmm. Technically, the federal government is still over the nation. And then in that way, back then, it's like, well, who could investigate from the federal government? There wasn't. It was either you investigated inside yourself and there was no one you could go to. You policed inside yourself and there was no one to go to. Um, and the, the local law Bureau enforcement was all Indian bought Affairs. off by mm-hmm. the local rich yeah. people, Hale mm-hmm. and, and other people of that. Right. Role. They were in with Hale 100%. Yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. 
and uh, and most of most of it in in nations early was white people that were the police force for the you know native populations, and then you get to like you're having to bring in the federal government that you don't trust mm-hmm. because of how they've screwed you over um, to potentially be the ones to help you from the people who are locally screwing you over, but then you give them more power and yeah, like it's just yeah, it's, it's, it's so complicated. But yeah, yeah, absolutely, place. yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, um, uh, let's talk about the den of wolves reveal. I want to, <laughs> <laughs> because they allude to it at the very beginning when, um, when, uh, Ernest is reading his, is reading his culture book. He's doing his homework and they have that like section where he's like, can you find all the wolves? And he's like baby's first book reading, uh, all the wolves in this picture. I, I love and, when like, De Niro's you- like, have you, you read up on the Osage and Ernest is like, I, I can read. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Just that assuredness. I'm glad for you, Ernest. I'm glad. Uh, I would love to see um, Leo carry the torch for Jim Varney in Ernest. Oh, dear uh, Lord. <laughs> Ernest yeah. movies. Oh, <laughs> um, but yeah, like uh, that, that in sequence where they're kind of trudging him up to the courts and they're trying to get him to, to um, testify in front of everybody against Hale. And the moment that he gets into the court, that's when Brendan Fazer is like, I haven't seen my client for two months. And they're like, okay, uh, this, like, even though John Lithgow was like, this is a conflict of interest. Clearly all, witness tampering. Yeah, clearly Absolutely. witness tampering. Yeah. And like all the white people were like, I guess we got to go with it, guys. He said it's the law. Like, I don't fucking know. Um, and then like Ernest literally just goes into this room where everybody you have seen in the movie to this point is just sitting there and it's in this fucking stark light. It's so harsh. Um, and you can just, it just hasn't, uh, it exudes a cosmic darkness, uh, to quote Mandy, (laughs) um, (laughs) just like, Holy fuck, what's about to happen. And they just sit him down and start like, fucking running him through everything he needs to say. Cause Ernest, of course, our boy, he's very fucking spineless. He you wouldn't want to exactly. do this horrible yeah, thing to all him. your white friends. Yeah. They, they <laughs> beat yeah, you. You're, didn't you're they? killing him. <laughs> yeah. you. Yeah. Don't you know you're killing, you're killing your uncle. And they beat you. Didn't they? they beat it out of you. <laughs> like just everything. And he's like, I love that. That whole sequence where Ernest doesn't get it like immediately. And they're like, they beat you. And he's like, well, no, they didn't beat me. They sat me down and they, they made sure they made me stand for a little bit and talk about it. And he's like, kept me no, up late they, a few yeah. nights. <laughs> it's like, no, they beat you. And he's like, yeah, they, they, they beat me. Yeah, totally. <laughs> just like reiterating it to Molly. And it really just, it, it is at that point. It just totally exemplifies how like spineless he can be. It hammers everything home um, about it. But I, I love that change of tone, that change of like, that's where you see, um, I don't know. It's one of those things that I don't think about too often in, in other movies because it's like either your movie's hyper stylized or it's uh, really realistic now. Like you don't really get an in between of like mixing tonal, um, visuals and fucking with color grading and all of that stuff. Uh, no, nobody really talks about it that much, but like here intentionally seeing a room that is lit a certain way and seeing all the characters have this completely washed. It's, it's literally a whitewashed room mm-hmm. um, of people who are just staring at you. And uh, it, it fucking, it actually like pierced me when I looked at it because it has that same thing that Koyana Skatsi has where there's oh, a, okay. yeah, nobody expected this coming into the conversation, yeah. but there's a sequence <laughs> at the end of Koyana Skatsi where you, <laughs> you like, 
you like look into the eyes of other human beings and you can kind of see like they're all blue collar and you can kind of see their souls and everything looking into the eyes of a bunch of rich white people is terrifying it's probably the most horrifying thing in our spooky season (laughs) i don't know how to handle it um but yeah like uh like it's like feigned innocence and it's like you wouldn't do that to us we're your friends like there's a pained look about them that also just completely betrays any kind of pain they could be feeling it's so manufactured yeah um but yeah, I, I, I'm curious, what did y'all think when that scene, because there's such a buildup to it, and I remember seeing it in the trailers, which I probably shouldn't have watched, I really should have just gone <laughs> in blind, um, but like, how did that feel, that whole like switch in color and everything? Yeah, I, I agree with you. That was a very powerful sequence. I think I think it echoes a scene that both John, you and Eric mentioned earlier, which is the, the parade with, with the clan, where like... They just like that's the scene that has stuck in my mind more than anything where it's like they're on screen for two and a half seconds. Mm-hmm. Right. Like uh, Ernest is walking across the street in the middle of a town parade and the clan are marching. He's like, oh, hey, Bob. And then just keeps going. And you're like, <laughs> <laughs> holy <laughs> shit. Like the and the clan is actually not talked about in the book. It's mm-hmm. like a touch that Scorsese added because like they, they were clearly there historically. Mm-hmm. And I thought that was a really interesting thing to add in, into it where like it's just the the undertone of of hatred and racism is there under everything right and it's like you the story isn't about the clan it's not necessarily to the extent that we know members of the clan that are committing these murders but there is that attitude that is just laced in every aspect mm-hmm. of society and that that meeting in that room where it's like every white person in town begging Ernest not to rat them out in court is just uh, it, it feels like an echo of that scene where you're like, oh shit, like all of these people that we've kind of seen in the background of scenes earlier throughout the movie, they're actually complicit in all of this. And we think like, oh, that person seems nice. They're just over there. They say hi to Ernest in the scene and then they leave. And it's like, no, they're actually totally cool with all of this evil killing that's going on. And they want it to happen and they don't want any of their white friends to be implicated in any of it. And it's just this, this, superiority mindset that has infiltrated the society to a degree that it's almost impossible to to rip it out it's so ingrained into everything yeah and and that's something again a little bit going back to something we talked about before where you don't generally in scorsese movies see kind of the hanger or not even the hangers on but the kind of people outside the mob Mm -hmm. coming together to defend the mob right right? there's no there's no sense necessarily in the film that every one of those characters was committing these crimes as well, mm-hmm. right? But there is every sense that they are, at a minimum, totally fine with the crimes. Or even if they're real, maybe even worse, even if they're not totally fine with the crimes, they're standing on the side of the white people mm-hmm. at the end of the day when, yeah. you know, when push comes to shove. And again, that's it's something... I don't think Scorsese's ever made such a blatantly political movie before and I, I defer to other people who've seen far more Scorsese films than I have yeah whether that's true but it is the movie is an indictment not just of the people at the time not mm-hmm. just of the white people at the time but of all white people in America yeah o- on uh-huh. the founding of America the way this that we have systematically dispossessed people of their land their lives their property 
that is the foundation of America. And yeah, even the, if the original sin yeah, of the country. Exactly. And that even if you were not in, you know, the cool gang that got to do it all together and uh, you know, um, you know, be part of the mob, um, you were at a minimum good with it. Yeah. Right. And mm-hmm. when it came time to close ranks, you knew whose side you were on. Right. And, and that was I think one of the things that was so chilling to me about the movie. Yeah. I think the most chilling mm-hmm. thing to me remains the the Molly uh, De Niro relationship. But that was kind of a secondary piece of this that just really, you know, underlied the whole film. And particularly in that scene, scene is just brought out fully into the open that, you know, whatever your whatever your socioeconomic status, whatever your whatever your your background, whatever your relation, family relationships, whatever, it doesn't matter. Uh, skin color runs deeper than all of that. And mm-hmm. that was just, it was a chilling scene. It was really, yeah. it, was, it was tough to watch. It also, it's in the Mason's Lodge too, right? Mm-hmm. Again, oh. kind of in the background, we see the Mason's symbols. Mm-hmm. The Bill Hale always wore a, a Masonic Lodge pin. I don't think he was actually a yeah. Mason, but he just wore that because he like wanted to seem cool. <laughs> <laughs> he wanted to be it. Um, and there's also the, I would say that the reflection of the meeting when the Osage people are talking about sending someone to DC mm-hmm. and they're all mm-hmm. the, right. Traditionally sitting in a circle, there's not necessarily this, you know, it's like, we're all together. They've brought in hail to that conversation even. And then we have in the Masonic lodge here, it's like ranking. There's not like a circle. It's this like impressive, mm-hmm. everything is focused in on this one point, And there's almost like a, a representation of the ranking system. The women are on the wall you know, the attorney in the suit is up in the front yelling in your face um, that I was like sort of the same thing too of not just like, not only are they all somewhat in on it. And I think also like seeing the like wives, sisters, daughters or whatever are also in there, like just as in on it too, that maybe you, you know, in the back of your mind would think like, oh, they're just the women in the town or whatever, not realizing like, yeah, yeah they could be just as evil. Mm-hmm. Um, that That there's this like, ranking of like who's on top that you have to look out for and you don't matter it's not about you it's about your uncle like you're trying to save your skin i don't care your uncle you need to save him right that there's this like importance level even beyond Mm -hmm. just the skin Mm -hmm. color Mm -hmm. um and kind of going back to what we were saying earlier like i i agree that this isn't a movie about the tribe and it does not spend as much time talking about their background, their traditions, like how, what bloodshed did they get, go through to get to where they were, mm-hmm. to be pushed to to that area. Like all of that is kind of just like passed and glossed over. And that would be and should be an important thing to tell. But this movie also does a really good job of telling something that white people still need to hear. Mm-hmm. And like, yes, this mm-hmm. is a movie for white people and using this true crime story to say like, Look how fucking flippant this racism and violence can be and was. These are people that died in the 80s. Yeah. Like, it's not like this was a, you know, you could think it's a long time ago. Maybe the movie presents it a little bit in this, like, in the West. But you're like, Ernest didn't die until, like, 1985. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Like, he outlived Molly by, like, 50 years. Yeah. Fuck that dude. Yeah. And then also the, like erasure of it that molly's you know obituary 
God, doesn't really doesn't reference this, mm-hmm. right? That she's so wrapped in and all this, you know, all this loss that surrounded her. Um, that's kind of just like, yeah, it's for white people entertainment. And then we forgot about it and we moved on. Um, that yeah, I'm like that. This still needs that does need also to be told. And Scorsese can tell that story. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's interesting. I think uh, Eric, to, to build on what you said, it, it, I think you're right that this is. Scorsese's most political film, but I do think he has made political films in the past. Like uh, people don't think about them as such. I think Silence is very political mm-hmm. about uh, colonialism and things like that. The Wolf of Wall Street is very yes. political. Yes, yes, it is. Um, I would agree. With like that. blatantly so. Yes. Um, and there's so much anger in that film, and I love that movie so much. But I, I do think you're right that this is this is Scorsese reckoning with. America yes. to a degree that he has not before and it's like it's interesting to see his movies where it's like he almost views everything as organized crime right mm-hmm. and he and I think that's right to a large degree mm-hmm. right mm-hmm. almost everything is organized crime it, and it's like you know it's so it's like yes he has movies about the Italian mafia he has movies about Wall Street being organized crime about police being organized crime with the departed about all, all of these aspects of society and like with Kills of the Flower Moon, it feels like he's saying that, like, no, just like, it's not just facets of America, it is America mm-hmm, at mm-hmm. large. Uh, the, the existence of America is organized crime. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, I think that's right. Yeah. Yeah, we haven't even talked about, like, um, and I will just briefly touch on it, but, like, even though there is a, quite a bit of indictment to, like, white America, there are still some white Americans in this movie that try to do good and are ultimately undercut. And, um, of course, Ernest comes face to face with one of them in Bill Smith, who is his brother-in-law. Mm. Well, Bill uh, Smith is not Bill necessarily is an angel. Yeah, yeah he's, he's not an he's angel. Tra- yeah. He's like systematically marrying Osage women so he can yes, be he rich. Is. Yes, yes yeah. he is as well. He is, mm. He's also exploiting it. But he is also asking a lot of questions about yes. who did what mm-hmm. in town. And I do and love that scene between him and Ernest. In the, yeah, <laughs> like, in their like entertainment room or yeah. whatever. <laughs> and Bill is like asking Ernest questions and Ernest's like, I don't, I don't like you. And he's <laughs> just, like, what do you not like about it? He's like, I don't know. Just like your essence. I just don't like you. And he's like, I can't, I can't really help that. And he's like, I know. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Like, yeah, Lord made me the way I am. Yep, he did. Made it so I couldn't like you. <laughs> it's like the, that's like the closest we get to the like classic Scorsese insult scene, you know, mm-hmm. like the, that's a mook. <laughs> yeah. The, yeah. The mook scene in mean streets or the like, you wore fucking shorts to a meeting scene yeah, yeah, in the yeah. Irishman and like all <laughs> yeah. these like, like that are just so good. Like that was, it was much more understated than his usual of those scenes but i i, I loved it but, but it's great. like even it's i think that those characters are held up they're not held up as like um they're not fucking saints obviously but mm-hmm. him and whoever the fuck the other dude was that was going to go to washington mm-hmm. they're held up more as a contrast of like zero tolerance to any yeah. kind of consciousness like any conscience uh uh, of, of wrongdoing because the other dude is like, I'm going to go to Washington and I'll see about it. We have no idea if he's actually going to give a shit mm-hmm. when he gets to Washington, mm-hmm. but he gets stabbed like 48 times mm-hmm. before he can even get up there. And it's just that like, we can't risk it. We don't trust anybody who says they might do good. Mm-hmm. Um, it, and, and they serve the purpose of just hammering home how tight lipped a lot of this shit was. And like, uh, and it, like it Ernest murdering chill. the private detective that Molly yeah, hired, yeah, yeah. like yeah. that yeah. scene is very. And it's like when you see the murder scene, it's like you get it from the waist down. And you're like, holy shit, I think that's Ernest. But then they show it like blatantly mm-hmm. yep. later yep. in the movie. You're like, Jesus Christ! Like yeah. this this guy 
is just like yeah the i again it's just like who, whoever told him something last that's mm-hmm. what he's gonna do you know he's like he's gonna kill that pi and then go home and like comfort his wife and oh, and give drunk. the world's worst excuse possibly for, yeah for, oh yeah right, uh-huh. where he's like uh well you paid him didn't you he's like She's like, yes, I paid him. And he goes, well, that's why he, yeah, he, he took ran. the money he, and he, he ran. ran away. Yeah, that, yeah. that must be it. Like, uh, just, a, just a dullard through and through. Yeah, yeah. Um, <laughs> and, and immediately when Hale says that, you know, he's like, oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. That's yeah. totally right. <laughs> yeah. He's a fucking parrot, yeah. man. Yeah. Like, he just yeah. repeats whatever anybody says. Yeah. This was also an, an yeah. era when, like, you know, policing was a developing science. Like, the... The like highest form of, of policing at the time was like Arthur Conan Doyle writing Sherlock Holmes books. Right? <laughs> it's like they didn't really know what they were doing at the time, and like they because cops and local law enforcement were so bad, PIs became a huge thing in the late eighteen hundreds and early nineteen hundreds, mm-hmm. and like the Pinkertons mm-hmm. came up the out of this, yeah. and and like a lot of these just horrible detective agencies that were just actively committing fraud buying off juries, things like that, that like they weren't actually detecting. They were just being shitty and evil and, and corrupt. And, you know, you pay them enough money and then they can use some of that to pay off juries and defense attorneys and prosecutors and whatever mm-hmm. to get done what they need to get done. Yeah. And so like that, you know, they're hiring PIs, the Osage tribe is, but like they kind of know that like they have to kind of know based on the reputation of PIs at the time that like, that's probably not going to work, but they're just trying to exhaust every resource Mm -hmm. that they can, right? Like Mm -hmm. everyone is that they know is dying around them and they're fucking terrified and they're turning to anybody who might give half a horse's ass about it. And it's just like, it's just so crushing to see them exhaust every Avenue and continue to fail and continue to see their loved ones die again and again. Yeah. You can see this fucked up relationship of like the federal government is, has moved them. Yep. <laughs> and killed them many times and then mm-hmm. yeah and then is holding guardianship over them holding their money from them but then it's like well i gotta ask them to come investigate right and the pis come in and they're doing it just for money as well like everyone's in here just praying for money i think too seeing um the you know diabetes and the insulin conversation with molly mm-hmm. is also a good representation of like the continuing lack of trust of medicine too mm-hmm. because you have doctors that are fucking over the people and outright lying about it or using it in this case that then it's like why would i trust doctors or lawyers or like they've all just fucked doctors, all of man. us over <laughs> <laughs> yeah just uh it is that like who do you trust and that was where i saw a um and i'm not trying to star review shame people here but i saw a three star review of this movie and it said i just didn't feel any of the tension or suspense or any of that for it and i was like (laughs) excuse me because that feels like one thing that you can't criticize about this movie (laughs) like that was done very well you may you can criticize the perspective of the film or what it's trying to say but like jesus you you think it's not tense like yeah. that's <laughs> look like I, I i don't care about the star rating as much it's just it caught my eye and the review itself was like none of this was suspenseful or tense to me and i was just like i was very fucking concerned for molly's <laughs> yeah. well-being mm-hmm. the entire time because it really does a great job of establishing that like i i know in a lot of instances where um god what is it it's like the nothing to hide policy and that kind of bullshit where people are like 
oh, well, like, you shouldn't be afraid of the cops if you got nothing mm-hmm. to hide. They, yeah. like, trust yeah. the fucking authorities so much that they believe that it is infallible. And that really resonates hard in this movie with, like, everybody being like, well, why don't you just go to this person? Why don't you just do this thing? Why mm-hmm. can't you just trust these? These are doctors. Like, mm-hmm. laying the label of authority on everything and then showing you why you should not trust any of those things and, like, what exactly it is, uh, like, oh, who these people are and how they betray you and like this whole town being a community that's kind of in on the fucking conspiracy. I think it lays out perfectly so many counterpoints to that mentality and somebody going to see it and coming out after and being like, there's no tension here just falls completely flat for me because the tension is my God, who can you go to? What can you do? Like Mm -hmm. you're, you're trying to barter with, everybody else who owns your life and you don't know if they really will try to do anything in your best interest or if they're doing it to boost uh, J. Edgar Hoover and the fucking FBI mm-hmm. or if they're doing it to boost their own profits or like it just that's the part that's like tense and gripping and concerning is that nobody here is going to do it out of the goodness of their heart. Nobody mm-hmm. here has any interest of charity. They're more just like, what's in it for me? How do I fucking get something out of this? It doesn't have to be oil money, but it just has to be something. Yeah. Um, and that continues like Scorsese's just march against like uh, capitalism and a lot of the shit yeah. that goes mm-hmm. on in the system. So yeah, I, I think too like one one of the scenes that really like sat with me a lot is the the scene where Molly is like on her deathbed and she's talking to Ernest and she's like. I need you to help me through this. Like, do not let these fucking doctors into this house. You go to the train and pick up my insulin from the train. Do not take it from those fucking sons of bitches. And like Ernest, like she's telling the person that is killing her Mm -hmm. to save. Like, she's like, Mm -hmm. she's like, I know that someone is trying to kill me and I need you to save my life. And he is the one that is administering the poison that is killing her. And it's just this, like Scorsese is... You know, he's always in his movies very focused on loyalty and betrayal, and 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 that scene is just so, uh, just heartbreaking. You know, to to see that like Ernest is the last person in the world that she still trusts. She's given up on Bill Hale at this point. The doctors, like every every white person around her, she's like, no, fuck him. But Ernest, I still trust you because I love you, and and you're my husband. And he's just coolly hearing that and then just going about his business and continuing to to poison her and it's just so it's so brutal to see and like to see her go from she's so lively at the start of the film Mm -hmm. to Mm -hmm. so sad and sick as the movie goes on and like Lee Gladstone is is so fucking good like I I had only seen her before this in a 2016 Kelly Reichert film called Certain Women that she's fucking incredible and it got like a bunch of critical appraise at the time and then didn't really get a lot of roles after that um but she played a very meek character in that movie and she did it really well like just an incredible performance as a very meek person but it was really fun to see her play a character who has this vibrant personality in killers of the flower moon but then to see that systematically undermined throughout the course of the film was was so heartbreaking and yeah i I think it's just like probably my favorite performance of the year so far and um you know especially that that scene in particular was was just heartbreaking the um other thing that i kind of like think about with her 
um, hallucinating and being poisoned and all this. Something else that I really loved about this movie was how they represented um, visions in it, like mm-hmm. the different mm-hmm. characters that have visions of death. And we have not even talked about Ernest breaking down and his whole facade falls in that one scene where he's like, you believe in all this fucking spiritual shit. And like, he's just yelling at her about her belief system and just tearing her down Mm -hmm. in the middle of like trying to poison her (laughs) to try to, to make her submit. Despite the fact that she's also Catholic. Yeah. You know, it's like she has submitted to the white people religion, but just holds on to some things. Her culture. Yeah. Parts of her culture and and her, the tribe and everything. And it's just like those moments are so heartbreaking where like her mother sees the owl and the owl being a symbol of like it's uh it's misfortune or it's death death. yeah Yeah. death and and being like did you see it and uh having that play into so many of the sequences where that ratcheted up so much of the tension beyond what like i would say probably just like oh we're watching her waste away while she gets injected with morphine laced uh insulin it's it is these moments of like hallucination because she also has a vision of of King Hale coming mm-hmm. to see her and she's like are you real and he's speaking to her and Osage and it, it's like this moment of she's questioning even if he's ever been legitimate or genuine in his concern for her and that's in her you know sort of fever dreams of this but there is that element of spiritualism that I think is is respected and like other characters are not on morphine laced insulin and see the owl and they see these mm-hmm. things that predict their, their death and their demise. Um, and I, I liked seeing that represented rather than it being logic away or yeah. some kind of, uh, the a, scene of Lizzie's death is really well done where, yeah. you know, Molly, Molly's mother passes and you have this scene of her kind of being ushered into the, the afterlife mm. and, you know, then they they cut back to kind of what's actually happening and the and the people mourning around her and the dude that was next to me that was talking the whole time was like like gasped when they cut back to the scene of of people mourning around her. It's like, dude, you didn't fucking see that coming. Come on. <laughs> <laughs> but despite it being predictable, it was very well done. Where like they were, were kind of like you know, in the book she's discussed as like one of the last members of the tribe who still really believes in the old ways and the religions and the traditions. And so to have her kind of ushered into the afterlife in that way, I I thought was a a really cool scene. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, the the very beginning open where they're burying the pipe and they talk about, you know, our children will be raised Mm -hmm. in these new ways, not in the old ways. Um, Again, it's like just a touch, but like the schools that are forcing English, the, you know, even the government is pushing them to be part of a church, um, like all of it to like remove this. And we do see a society that now has kind of taken on some of those aspects. And there definitely is that pushback you hear from some of the people of like, you took the white money, you know, and then you're doing the white things now, like the buying the cars, the nice things. You, I think like Anna is a good representation of like, mm-hmm. yeah. she dresses like a 1920s flapper girl, you know, mm-hmm. white flapper girl doesn't have the blanket that we usually see Osage women having. Um, she's got the pearls on, like all the stuff very much like just fully buying into the bullshit, buying into the culture and and giving up, you know, what, what their culture was just being forced down on them. 
Yeah, you know? and it doesn't save her, right? Like she's one no. of the first yeah. to go. Yeah, it's right. like you can't. You know, there, there's always these cultural uh, mindsets of like, you know, just like the kind of Fox News talking point of like, why don't those people just like behave like the rest of society? And if only like, we're civilized. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And it's like, it doesn't, it doesn't fucking matter. Yeah. Dude. Like, it, it, you can yeah. never assimilate fully to a culture. Uh-huh. It's yeah. a bullshit myth that you chase because you're sold that. So, mm. yeah. Definitely that, that added so much to kind of the conversation uh, in between these characters and just watching them slowly fade into that. And I, I wanted to also like just say that I'm, I'm curious what y'all think about um, I've, I had the sinking feeling when I was watching it. You know, I talked about the Yellowstone uh, fans coming out of this mm-hmm. movie and being like, nah, I don't know about this movie. Um, and part of it is there is, uh, even like Lily talks about how, or Lizzie, sorry, Lizzie, no, yeah. Lizzie. Um, Lizzie talks about how, um, uh, at one point she lectures Molly. I'm like, you married this white man and you're like diluting our heritage. And there's kind of this, uh, like all these white people are coming in and they're taking everything that we want. And p- part of it for me, I could just hear this tiny voice in the back of my head with somebody being like, well, that's like those white people or like, Oh, that's just like, mm-hmm. you know, uh, mm-hmm. you're trying to just explain it away as like a post-racial sort of uh, dilution. We don't and think that like, way anymore. Yeah. Yeah. And, yeah. Be, and being yeah. like, I just wish that those, those Osage people weren't so racist against white people. Like reverse racism is real. Everybody. Mm-hmm. Um, it's, it's fucking like, that's just, that's something that I, I have seen enough media and I've talked to enough people about that. I know somebody's going to walk out of this movie and be like, well, they just had the wrong interpretation. Like, I don't understand why they were so upset about, um, wouldn't you be happy that your, your daughter's in love with somebody or this kind of thing. But it's like, they completely miss the whole message of like, no, there's an undercut. It's not just like that. There's some dilution of, because that is, in effect, racism thinking that like, oh, well, uh, there's a dilution of the bloodline or something like that. It is the the loss of a culture. It is the assimilation into what's supposed to be a melting pot. And uh, that um, it, it just kind of frustrated me thinking about like somebody coming out of this movie and talking to me about it in that way. And I was curious if uh, y'all had any thoughts on it or you had a similar kind of voice in your head that said something like that. You have a relative that might talk that way about it and how you kind of process, um, a way that piece of like, okay, here's really what Lizzie's concerned about. Here's like really what the Osage people are concerned about. It isn't just like that. The, the skin color is white of the people that love your children. It is this other aspect of assimilation into a, a government, into a society that's trying to force you out to quell the flame of like who you are. Um, yeah. I, I think like, you know, the gut reaction of pretty much anybody when you're consuming media that is critical of your race or religious creed or whatever is to be defensive. Right. And mm-hmm. be like, well, what, well, you know, not what, not all of us are like that or no, that's not what I think is an individual. And, and it's like, that's just kind of a natural human response And then I think if you're honest with yourself and you want to try to engage with the material, you will try to push past that and to think about things from the perspective of the victims, not from the people who are committing the crimes, right? And I I think that's what this movie is asking 
white people to do, right? Is, is to look past that, like, yeah, some of these people are absolute shitheads, but like, look at all the people that are here in the background that are just going along with this. And like, don't think for a second that you might be better than those people and that you would actually like stand up and say something and risk your neck because everybody else is fucking dying who is like trying to actually solve these murders. Like it, it is trying to implicate everyone who is, is watching this as a member of the majority that is, is seeing these horrible acts committed. And I think like historically, I think it's, it's interesting. Like you know, you're talking about Lizzie being upset about her daughters marrying white men and like all of her daughters did mm-hmm. uh, marry, marry white men. And you know, the, after a lot of the reign of terror occurred and all of these murders, the Osage tribe changed their head right rules to where you could only pass them on to people who were at least 50% Osage. Mm-hmm. And so that helped to kind of take away the marriage scheme to some degree, um, but not perfectly, but it, you know, it's like at some, to some degree, it, the you know the wound had already occurred right didn't yeah. at that point they're just kind of trying to patch it up as best they can and then like the book talks about how like now nobody's drilling on osage land anymore and there are companies that are setting up windmills and trying to make wind power and the osage tribe sued those companies like no you have to get to drill into the ground we own the rights on the ground Literal to put rights. anything yeah. into the ground you have to get our permission and the courts ruled against them and in favor of the companies putting up the windmills <sighs> and a lot of in- environmental regulations uh which you know have good intentions are actually you know very detrimental to the osage tribe because it makes drilling more expensive and so fewer companies want to actually buy oil rights on on that land and so like you have uh, the books is in like 2015 for like the first time in a hundred years, nobody was drilling on Osage land and, and like they were setting up a bunch of fucking windmills, but it became too expensive to drill. And a lot of the wells were running, running dry and now they're, they're poor again. And I, I think it's, there, there's a quote from an Osage leader around the time that the killings were happening where he said, basically like, I look forward to the day where the wells run dry because then we won't have this wealth and our people can be happy again. And, you know, a lot of the Native American heritage is around being hunter-gatherers and being a very socialist community that there's no ownership of property. You just live in a group. You have people that hunt. You have people that do domestic duties. And, and like, you do, you have people that gather and you do stuff for the group as a whole, right? Like, there's no property ownership. There's no hierarchy. It's just kind of the group... Uh, and, and helping everyone as a whole. And, and it's not possible for them to live that way anymore, right? And, you know, the thought, like, maybe when we don't have this wealth anymore, we could be happy. But it's like, you can't really return to that state where they, they were at, at that point because we've just fucking sown capitalism over everything and you can't actually live as a hunter-gatherer anymore. And it's just, every land is, every piece of land is owned by some white dipshit and, and you can't just like hunt and gather on, on their land. Right. And it's just, uh, it's just fucking sad. Like the way that uh, this is all gone and, and where things are right yeah. now. Yeah. And you have like it, the, it took Congress to pass that head right thing, which is bullshit. Right. Again. Yeah. Um, to, to Congress to come in and tell you who you can pass your rights onto. Um, 
And the complications even beyond that tribe in particular with the, you know, casinos and who gets the rights to the casino money mm-hmm. and, and where that falls. It's very complicated even just saying, like, what's 100%, what's 50%, especially after the move of the tribes. They're intermingled, even more intermingled between tribes, between white people. Mm-hmm. Spread between, out across between, the country. Yeah, spread out across the country between black people, like the the whole thing with the freedmen and the Cherokee, like that's still being worked out. It's like moved in some correct directions, but that's still, you know, even within the tribes issues. And then you just said like, yeah, I can um, just like go on in a second here, but <laughs> go for it. Ryan. Like this, this movie does, you know, it's showing this particular time period in this issue in the 20s. And I'm hoping that it brings enough attention that it opens the door for other discussions because it is just still so much an ongoing problem. And I have family members that I can talk to, you know, or friends that I can talk to and just really quickly shut down arguments of the like, well, why can't they just speak English? You know, or why can't everything just be printed in English and be like, that wasn't the fucking first language. And then you go in and you're like, if you do that, if you say that's what it has to be, you're killing these schools in these tribes and mm-hmm. killing a language that very few people speak anymore. And you, you know, you're like, oh, well, let's, you know, we'll just put a wall up and that'll handle everything. And you're like, but where across these tribal lands, like you're going to take them away so that you can just build your wall because that's the easiest fucking solution you think you can come up with. Um, You know, we started selling back public land to just sell to these industries to let them do whatever they want on it. Like those problems are there. And then there's like the complete in your face of like, well, what about the history of my football team? And their name, <laughs> yeah. baseball team, and it's like what their history? <laughs> like that's the problem you have. Um, to be fair, the right? Washington Commanders is a stupid ass name. <laughs> it's stupid, name, whatever. But but you know they could now they get their history. It's and they can work towards that and come their up with previous something. Name. Yes, it much less stupid. stupid than their previous name. But you still have teams that are still putting their you know holding on the to Florida their State Seminoles shit. and uh, yeah. Atlanta Braves. Yeah, that's a tougher relationship. There are certain schools like Florida State where it's a tougher conversation, a tougher relationship um, because of the, you know, and and like even further, you can be like, well, now everybody can call themselves Vikings because they're all fucking dead. Like, is that okay? Right? Like these things are complicated issues. They did the violence. They did the Yeah, maybe they're okay with that. (laughs) They weren't the victims Um, in those scenarios. (laughs) Yeah. But it's, it's amazing to me how continuingly flippant to Indians the racism is because it's so little known or recognized and it's been there the entirety of America's history mm-hmm. to just be there and to act that way. Um, it's like there's a sandwich store near me that has squaw bread and like what? I bring it up and I've emailed them and shit like that. And it's just like they just don't even register that as something because it's like they don't know. They've never they've never heard that word in a context to realize, mm-hmm. you know, what that is. Or you see street names or school names or the back of a fucking Jeep in front of you that mm-hmm. just uses it. <laughs> and, and it's yeah. just not even thought about yeah. um, as something that's it's just crazy. It's still just so crazy. Um, but just to even this to just like show the violence of it is something to catch people's attention and maybe we can start moving forward on a conversation from there. Yeah. It, it is wild that like in our sports mascot environment, it's like there's animals and there's native American tribes and, and like <laughs> right. it, it is like an equating of those things, right? How can it be 
anything else. It's like in the same fucking division, you have the Detroit Tigers and the Cleveland Indians, right? right. And it's like, it's just crazy. That well, that there's exists. the fighting Irish and there's a few <laughs> We do like to fight. That That's actually a fair... <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> I can't argue with that one. <laughs> actually, I can argue with you it. Can, yeah, absolutely. And I will. <laughs> there, are, there are animals and there are horrible yeah. stereotypes. There are animals and stereotypes. <laughs> yes. Exactly. Uh, uh, there are there are the very rare white man uh, mascots like the New England Patriots and the Boston Celtics and yeah. and the Fighting Irish, but there are, they are few and far between. I think that's all of them. I think we just named all of them. Yeah. I'm glad it never made its way to cereal, did it? I don't know. If cereals ever had a indigenous I'm, people's mascot. I'm sure they I feel have. like there I'm, was. Yeah, they yeah. they did. They had to have. Uh, <laughs> yeah, I, I always have this like SNL skit in my mind, especially back when it, you know there there was some reckoning with brands to start resolving some of those things. Not finished, some reckoning yeah. that, that there was like a CEO, like a white guy CEO, and they're coming in and telling him like, "Hey, we've got to change the name, you know, we got to change the logo," and they're kind of going over each item that they're having to change the name on. And it's getting increasingly more bizarrely, <laughs> brazenly racist up until the point that it's like, he's like, how far can this go? How far can this go? And he's like, the next thing you're telling me is that we can't have cereal. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like it's like something where it's just straight up wrong. <laughs> yes, exactly. The, you know, the thing I think about, I can't remember who pointed this out to me, but now I, I can't stop thinking about it, which is the way the U S military uses Native American terms to name mm-hmm. oh, uh, weapons and attack vehicles. You've got mm-hmm. the Chinook, you've Apache. got the Black Hawk, the Apache, the yeah. Tomahawk missiles. Those are the first four I could come up with. There's probably some others. Uh-huh. Um, yeah. and, and it's galling on several fronts, um, mm-hmm. You know, particularly the level on which like a large degree to which the U.S. federal government was forced to form um, was about coordinating Native American um, removal, mm-hmm. right? This is one mm-hmm. of the ways in w- areas in which the states could not independently operate, right? And so, um, one of the key roles of the U.S. military in the early days was um, was the murder and relocation of Native American tribes, yep. and we memorialized that by naming our weapons after them, which we then use to uh, do colonialism overseas, uh-huh. right? Like, yeah. like I, look at I, all I, these warriors we have killed. Yeah. We will it's now like, kill you. Yeah. Them. It's like yeah. we, by killing them, we got to take their name, like some weird, like old school, like, you know, like, like mystical way yeah. in which you like absorb Now we're going to use I don't them know. in a very just, incompetent fashion yeah. in Iraq yeah. and Afghanistan. Yeah. And, uh, it, yeah. Yeah. And I don't remember. I didn't come. We're going to sell someone, them all to Ukraine and yeah. they're going to fucking sell them to a bunch of Nazi sympathizers. Right. Yeah. Right. Just, yeah, okay. yeah. I don't remember who pointed that out to me, but it just, it just, you know, it lives rent free in my head mm-hmm. and it's yeah. constantly kind of coming back up. And I, That's as wild. we were talking about this, I couldn't stop thinking about that. It's a, it's a, it's a truly like ghoulish aspect of our military on it top really of all is. the other ghoulish aspects <laughs> of it. Um, is, is there an aspect of our yeah, military that it's not <laughs> ghoulish? It's yeah. not ghoulish, yeah. 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 So much of the growth of that, right, the cavalry, the mm. the troops, but I'm like, even further, Jesse Plemons steps in, he's like, oh, I'm a former Texas Ranger. Yeah, like, yeah. Texas uh-huh. Rangers. Yeah. 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 Yeah
Uh, yeah. yeah, I mean, uh, the horrible, horrible history of Chuck Norris. Uh, no one wants <laughs> to go there. That's just... <laughs> Oh man! Uh, yeah, I, we've talked a lot about this movie. Uh, we're we're going a little long here. I don't want to keep uh, you guys too long. But um, any any final thoughts that you you guys have that you want to get in before we wrap this up? The scene that most has stuck with me, and I'm curious to get quick reactions, knowing that we are we're mm-hmm. gonna pass time, is when um, DiCaprio takes the what I assume is morphine. Um, yeah. And um, has and the fields around him are burning. Uh huh. And he has this like melding of like a a a vision and like the reality. That shot and is fucking it's badass. An incredible scene. Yeah. It's, and you have the like I, I don't know. Again, it's so hard with a movie like this not to draw parallels to the sins of America's past. And so you see this this man riding back by on horseback as these men are kind of like beating the ground with sticks i guess to kind of like cut the 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 path off for the for the fire and you you can't help but think of like the overseer on a slave plantation mm-hmm. right while this like this this fire burns and it's such a striking scene and i i would be remiss to kind of end this episode without just mentioning and passing that that like i i don't fully know what to make of it but it it really it, it was it really stuck with me and really really affected me yeah, it, it's just it's a really well done sequence, and there's also the, the insurance salesman that's yes, like, "Wait, that's yes, Bill Halesley. Yes, I just sold him a thirty thousand yes, dollars fire yeah, policy yeah. last week. Looks like he yes, got some work yes. for tomorrow morning." Just so casually <laughs> joked about too. Just and it's also yeah. interesting because like Tom White is the FBI agent has to kind of hold his meetings with his informants yes. like randomly yes. at night out in fields. And that's the only way he can be sure that nobody's listening in on him and they're not sabotaging what he's doing. And you see that scene is interesting because you see some of the local members of the community mm-hmm. who are actually trying to help him and mm-hmm. contribute mm-hmm. to the cause, but they're just being swindled by Bill yes. Hale like, yes. to, yep. to the nth yes. degree. And it's yes. just, it's kind of, darkly comedic Mm -hmm. and Mm -hmm. it's just man like it's just such a kind of a powerful sequence like kind of that realization hitting as Ernest is doing the morphine and seeing this weird smoky vision of the fire and the the workers on the land and uh, yeah it's just uh, the the only thing I would add to that is just like I think the the cinematography is is always great in a Scorsese movie, and Rodrigo Prieto does a great job with this film. And the two shots that really stand out to me are that and the like scene at the beginning of the movie where the tribe discovers oil, and there's like that slow motion like shot yeah. of this celebration dance as this oil is raining down, and then like hard cut to okay modern day, and like you know what's coming right Mm -hmm. and like you know that that oil is a curse not a a blessing Mm -hmm. and it's going Mm -hmm. to destroy their community rather than to to bolster it um but yeah i mean i completely agree with you on that 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 scene is is really well done and really powerful yeah it definitely the like flames closing in on him Mm -hmm. sort of aspect Mm -hmm. of it too where you can just yeah they're outside the window just the redness of Mm -hmm. all of it Mm -hmm. 
Yeah, the the like I uh, we talked about it, Dixon. Uh, when I was looking at that, it's like it's an impressionistic painting. It's like this. Mm-hmm. It is yeah. the damnation yeah. yes. of like everything around this greed. Um, and I there's so much of a lingering on the flame and the heat mm-hmm. waves from it, and it makes this like hauntingly beautiful image mm-hmm. of the silhouettes toiling in the middle of fire, mm-hmm. and you just watching somebody like. It could be that they are clearing a path for the fire. They could be digging their own grave. Like who, mm-hmm. who knows what the visual metaphor is intended to be? But uh, contrasted with like um, Ernest pouring morphine into his drink and into the insulin, mm-hmm. there's this sort of like if I'm going down, you're going down with me. Like America is taking itself down with everything else that goes with it. Um, that just, yeah, it's, it's definitely stuck with me. Like I can't, I can close my eyes and see that scene Mm -hmm. very Mm -hmm. vividly. So yeah. It's also like when he's actually taking it himself, you're like, is he developing a bit of a conscience here? Mm -hmm. Is he going Mm -hmm. to actually turn around and realize, Hey, I need to be with my wife inside with her and like fuck Bill Hale and we need to Mm -hmm. stop all this shit. And it's an emphatic no. Uh, but like, that's a mo like, you know, that, that character, like you have moments where you're like, I think he, I think he maybe has a moral compass and maybe he's so sees many times what he's like, doing. This is where he'll maybe know. he's no, human. He yeah. yeah. <laughs> nope. Definitely not. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. There you go. Yeah. I, uh, we talked a little bit on the ending scene with the built around the radio play. That was something that Darla was really like not into. She said it was a little too disjointed. I think kind of what you said, mm-hmm. Dixon of like, you had a good capping ending moment and then you like stop and do this. But I I was like, at the same time, it felt better than the normally you would just have the text at the end. That's like the updates about all of it to kind of help drive home the realism. It was like, I think he still was like, I need to make it clear like this happened and tell you what happened afterwards and also show you like, it didn't necessarily, it didn't get better. Like it didn't, you know, it's not like there was this huge change or anything like this is what it is. And then also bring in that, like, and now people forgot about it. Like we told it and then it's forgotten about. Mm -hmm. I liked it, but I agree. It was like a little disjointed. Darla had said, she was like, maybe if they started the radio play and then you went in and then you came out on the radio play. And I was like, that's almost too much. Yeah. That's a frame. Yeah. Yeah, It was almost too much, but she was like, maybe just see them setting it up and then you have the whole thing and then you come back and you're like, Oh, that's what that was. Mm. I was like, okay, maybe I was like, I don't, I don't know. I was still like, I got why he did it, but also at the same time was like mixed feeling about it though. Mm. Yeah. The more I think about it, the more I really like the, the way it ended. And I, I think like, Again, at first I was like, man, you're really kind of pulling the rug out from under this powerful ending of this movie. But I think like within the broader historical context and thinking about how true crime pervades our modern society yeah. and we don't fucking care about the victims of, of those crimes. It's the like, entertainment of oh, them that's, dying. That's <laughs> interesting. That's fun. And then we move on to the next thing. And like I, I think that is kind of important to cast the film in a modern context and and to think about like, oh, shit, this isn't just a thing that happened 100 years ago. This is a thing that we are, we're still doing this today, right? We're taking these horrible stories and we're exploiting them for, for profit and, you know, doing a million documentaries and podcasts and Dateline NBCs and all these things. And, and it's just all like... we never think about the victims of these things and how they might think about their story being broadcast across the world. 
And and I think like, you know, Scorsese has done this a lot in his career where he's like he's adapting stories that like maybe are true or just like the person who did it says they are true, right? It's like it's unclear how true Goodfellas is or how mm-hmm. true the Irishman is or how like the Wolf of Wall Street is pretty well established. I think that's pretty much true. But like a lot a lot of these stories, he's basically taking this person's account being like i like some of the aspects of the story and i am going to exploit that for my own artistic vision and him kind of inserting himself at the end of the film it feels like it almost an indictment on his own career and him questioning what he has been doing with himself since 1990 you know like he didn't really do that much before goodfellas but he's done it a lot since then and I, I thought that was a really fascinating way to to wrap it up. And it does it is jarring. Like it's a very kitschy, weird vibe at the end of the movie that is not what the rest of the film is doing. Um and it like like I was telling John after we watched the theater, I was like, I don't think I liked that. But like now the the more that I think about it, the more that I think that that was kind of the perfect way to to wrap up the story. Yeah. And I agree. I'm like so hungry for a second watch that being able to like yeah. now mm-hmm. recontextualize it. Like I wonder how I'll see you next time. Mm-hmm. Yeah. For sure. Cool. Uh, well, we have talked a lot about the Killers of the Flower Man. We could probably keep talking for another couple yeah. hours, but I, I think we're going to wrap this up. So, John, would you recommend this movie? Like, come on. Why are you going to ask me? Man? <laughs> why are you going to fucking ask me? Because that's what we do here. I John. absolutely would recommend this movie <laughs> yes i don't even have to explain why because we've talked about it enough so yeah all right eric would you recommend this movie i mean yeah twist my arm i guess so <laughs> <laughs> if i gotta pick yeah i guess <laughs> no it was, it was absolutely fantastic i like i couldn't recommend it more highly all right ryan yeah i mean this is like a everything about this is perfect. Like this should get so many nominations. Mm-hmm. Like we didn't even talk about music and score, mm-hmm. but John like, mentioned that also I mentioned really it roughly. Yeah. A little bit, a little bit. We didn't talk, you know, it's like, we could keep yeah. going. Robbie um, Robertson's, yeah. uh, his mom is full blood native American. And I, I learned that reading like reviews this past week. And I, I didn't know that, but, um, I was so sad to hear that he passed. I didn't even realize that until I yeah, watched the movie and it said ago? like in yeah. memory of Robbie Robertson, I was like, Holy shit. Like, I had no idea. Um, and I really want to go back and rewatch The Last Waltz now. So I'll probably do that this week. But um, that's really sad to, to hear that he's gone. Yeah. Yeah. But absolutely recommend Darla. Absolutely also recommended it. Um, that's we, we rare. Went and, yeah. No, this was like a full. <laughs> she was like, especially for it being that long. Um, yeah, we went and saw it in the IMAX as well. And nice. she was like, I'm surprised no one got up and went to the bathroom. And I was like, I don't think anyone could. I was like, if someone would... Like everyone else would have to too, like yeah. almost turn around to the projectionist and be like, "Hey, can you please hang on? Like we're yeah. so gripped." But everyone's like, "Let's get five minutes." I just peed in my soda cup during the movie. <laughs> I wore depends. Yeah. <laughs> cool. Uh, I would also wholeheartedly recommend this movie. Um, I think it is a fascinating twist on the western actually we were talking a few weeks ago i think it was when we maybe we talked about high plains drifter and we were talking about westerns i was like it'd be interesting to see a western from the perspective of the native americans and seeing white people as this colonizing evil force and i think this is the closest thing we've gotten to that i don't know that it, it it's fully from that perspective but i think it's a fascinating film and i can't wait to see it again and to really unpack 
everything that it's doing. So, um, yeah, go watch Killers of the Flower Moon. It's in theaters, probably wherever you live. Um, but, uh, yeah, uh, I have been your host, Michael Dixon, with me as always. John Garcia. Uh, I said it before when we watched Sound of Metal. Uh, I wanted to see movies made by deaf people. Now I'll say it with Killers of the Flower Moon. I want to see more movies made by indigenous people. Uh, exploitation or otherwise, go for it. I just want to fucking see more indigenous voices on the screen. You know? There you go. And uh, our special guest. Hey, Eric. Thanks again for having me, guys. Uh, please, next time you have a guest on, give them a heads up to write a couple jokes ahead of time. <laughs> I will, uh, <laughs> I'm not, I can't promise they would have been any better than what I came, you know, than um, me just calling you out on it. Yeah. But uh, I could have come up with something pretty terrible if you'd let me. So <laughs> Next time, next time. Uh, and, uh, as always... Ryan King, uh, I don't like whiskey. I love whiskey. <laughs> God damn it. I was going to follow up with that line. No, you're not going to get to now. Uh. Hey there, movie buffs, TV toughs, and all listeners in between. John here from the Afterthoughts Podcast. I just wanted to drop in at the end of this episode and say thanks for listening. If you've got afterthoughts of your own to share, hit us up. You can find us on Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram at The Afterpod, or jump into a conversation on our Discord server. You can find info for this and more at theafterpod.transistor.fm. Thanks again for listening, and we'll catch you on the next episode. I don't like whiskey. I love it.